Meanwhile, back at the Hall of Justice, our mild-mannered podcasters were bombarded by gamma rays, bitten by radioactive bugs, mutated by toxic waste, irradiated with cosmic rays, born into a world that doesn't understand them. First issue. Hello everybody, it's Wednesday, August 14th, 2013, and you are listening to the Talking Comics Podcast. I am your host, Bobby Shortle, and I am in the house with Steve Say. Hello! Bob Ryer. Howdy. And Stephanie Cook. Hello? You sound so far away. You're very, very low and very far away from us right now, Stephanie. I'm sorry. Is this better? Did you walk away from the computer while we were starting the intro to the podcast? Oh, I have a headset on. I mean, even if I did walk away, it's still kind of attached to me. Yeah. Well, you were very low, but now you're here, and now we're now we're good to go. Um, so we are back another week, uh, uh, another podcast. This week, uh, we are going to be uh, talking about the future uh, of the the big two companies. We we put it on Facebook. A call for for topics, and we got a ton, a ton of responses, all of which we are going to save because some of them are very good topics that actually need a bunch of research for us to end up doing the way we'd want to do them correctly. Yeah, I mean, some of them were really great, but I was like, yeah, yeah, I don't yeah. know if we could pull that together enough. We're recording three hours. Um, but awesome, awesome topics. So like, what we kind of is we kind of took an amalgam of a couple different ones. A bunch of people seemed to want to know what we thought about. Um, the possible future of DC, the future of Marvel, what was going to happen after Infinity? Is there going to be a reboot? You know, what what's you know going on for the business models in light of some of the comments that have been said um, this week? So we we pushed all those together, and we're going to talk about where we think those companies are going to be a year from now. I mean, we have a, we have really three major things going on at Marvel right now, creatively at least. We've got Infinity coming up. We've got Inhumanity after that. And we got hunger going on right now as well, which are all kind of universe-shaping uh, events. Um, and over at DC, obviously, we've got um, Trinity War happening now and, for- and Forever Evil happening. Um, and also just the lineup of new books and the shape of the shake, the continuing shakeup of creative talent there. So um, we, we want to s- kind of talk about where we think that's going to end up for, for both companies. Um, and, uh, of course, we're going to do Books of the Week. Uh, but b- before we get to that, uh, a lot of news happened this week. Uh, a lot of it negative, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of starting off right with uh, speaking of uh, DC, uh, a few about a month, probably a few months ago now, we talked about the announce the cancellation of Legion of Superheroes and then the an- announcement of Justice League Three Thousand, um, which was reuniting a, a team that did a Justice League book in the nineties, a very mm-hmm. humor centric. Uh, Justice League book, um, which was uh, Kevin Maguire, J.M. DeMatteis, and um, Keith Giffen. Keith Giffen, right? Uh, and and the 
the idea and all they were saying seemed like they were going to be returning to that tone uh, for this book. Um, all seemed to be going well. It was supposed to. I think it's. It was supposed to come out in October. So we're kind of we're going towards it. Kim McGuire. We had seen preview images. It was moving forward. But um, this week on Twitter, uh, Kevin McGuire started tweeting. He said, uh, one tweet said, "I think I was just fired." Uh, next one was, "Anyone have any comics they need drawn?" <laughs> and then on the August 9th, he said, "Well, that's humiliating." Um, and so. Um, on Facebook, McGuire then said, uh, he said he was a bit perplexed to how it got to this point. And at the same time, they announced that as McGuire was off the book, Howard Porter, who had done the designs for the characters and who has been working on books for a very, very long time, did, you know, run with Grant Morrison on JLA, has done, done a lot, a lot of stuff, um, would be taking over. And Keith Given said to Newsarama, he said, the guy who nailed the character designs on the interior of the book, the guy who teamed with Grant Morrison to make JLA a hit, that is what we call a no-brainer. Welcome aboard, Howard. I think this is the beginning of a beautiful collaboration. Um, and then uh, McGuire took the, to the Bleeding Cool forums and uh, uh, kind of elaborated on, on what happened. And he said... Obviously, I was looking forward to working on a fairly high-profile book. I haven't had a a top 10 book since the 80s, and I thought this would finally be my shot at doing one. Uh, But it's a DC book. It's their property. They can do whatever they want with it. They don't owe me anything. I've been told they wanted a book that was dark and gritty, so I'm perplexed as to why they chose us for that. We did exactly the kind of book you would expect from us, lots of action and humor, and I turned down a Bendis X-Men project to do Justice League 3000. Um... Along, right on the, just almost directly as it's happened, it, it's a story that developed very, very quickly. Uh, it was announced then that um, uh, McGuire is going to be drawing at least one issue of Guardians of the Galaxy uh, for Marvel and, and Brian Michael Bendis. Um, and Bendis released a statement about him and didn't bash DC at all. I basically said, no, I think he's, you know, the artists like Kevin McGuire, like the living treasures and, the, you know, uh, says some very nice things about him and... We also heard from McGuire as well that he has lots of other offers from DC. They wanted to still work there. It just wasn't on this book. So long, long story, a sordid story, which got resolved uncharacteristically quickly for what's been happening in the last couple of months. Um, Bob, I want to start with you just because McGuire is somebody who was working on a book that you were really loving in World's Finest, left that book obviously to do this, and then we have this issue. So what do you think when you hear this story? Well, first of all, very nice work by Mr. Bendis. Mm -hmm. That's really coming up big. Mm -hmm. Let's let's start with the positive aspects of this. That he just is a – Guardians is a great book for him. He's a fun, light artist. Mm -hmm. Uh, What he and Perez were doing on World's Finest was very special, very Mm old-fashioned. And seeing where the art went on that, you can see they wanted their house style. Mm-hmm. They're doing the same thing, I guess, here mm-hmm. in that Howard Porter. Those it was '90s Justice League, I guess he was doing. Yeah, yeah, it was the it, late it, '90s. It, it, it was when it, it was right at the period where they had that whole area of the Justice League where they didn't want any of the big superheroes in it. Yeah, and then when Morrison relaunched, it, they put all everybody back in: Superman, Batman, okay. Wonder Woman. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but it's it is a a gritty style, a big muscular style mm-hmm. that he uses. Yeah, yeah. So that's gonna change everything now mm-hmm. i've also heard that the book's already finished mm-hmm. the book that was due out two months from now is done yeah. they're going to scrap the whole thing and start over mm-hmm. yeah. so the book will now be out in december i've never heard of that before yeah you know at least it's already books have been solicited out there uh now i do start to wonder because i guess i'm a conspiracy theorist mcguire mm-hmm. off world's finest because he chose to go do this he mm-hmm. probably could have done both i understand he was always pretty fast right 
was he pushed out on that considering the art style went from the classic Perez Maguire to mm-hmm. you know broke back power girl <laughs> so uh, it's really a shame because I was looking forward to that. There would have been a book I would have tried just yeah. because of the change in tone. Yeah. And it sounds like we're going right down the tubes again. Interesting for that team to be taking on a book like that because you don't really associate those writers with, with that sort of tone in, in a book. Steve, what do you think about this story? I want somebody to do a Photoshop of Brokeback Power Girl. Like a cowboy hat on? Yeah, with hey. Power Girl and Huntress together. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So if you're listening to this and you got those uh, Photoshop chops... <laughs> Get on it. Um, it seems like there's a lot of pieces missing to that that back and forth. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll also say it is mighty nice of Brian Michael Bennis to step forward and not only you know bring him on for work, but to also praise you know his creativity and his professionalism and stuff. Um, I think it's really cool that. Things didn't go on, didn't get ugly, mm-hmm. I suppose. But it also, I'm, I'm disappointed because I was really looking forward to the the light tone and the you know the humor portion that we were gonna maybe be getting one of those books. Um, I think we all kind of were a little relieved by that mm-hmm. idea. And now that that's off the table, I don't know if my interest is peaked anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't need another gritty JLA book. Mm-hmm. I've got two right. already. Right. Yeah. Uh, wait, no, I have three. You have three. Yeah. Yeah. And um, it just—I feel like it, it. Maybe it hasn't happened for a few weeks where we haven't had one of these stories, mm-hmm. but it wasn't that long ago that we had another. DC shakeup cancellation. Mm-hmm. There are questions floating around, and not that it's like the public's or our business to know all the ins and outs. Mm-hmm. That's completely between them, right? And you know contracts and blah blah blah. But it's just it's a shame, and it's it's it doesn't doesn't fill me with confidence as to to how some of these things are put together because I know the the time and the thought and the creativity that goes to creating some of these things that when you sign someone on for a book and they have a story to tell or they're commissioned to do something and they're like, you got to come up with something. And there are nights that go by where they're throwing ideas around, they're in in front of boards, in front of computers, Mm -hmm. uh, spending time away from their kids and Mm -hmm. stuff like that to get this stuff done. And then to have it so unceremoniously yanked out from under them with no real contact from the people that hired you you got to find out through the internet is really shitty mm-hmm. so that's all i gotta say about mm-hmm. that stephanie what do you think about this story um i just think we don't know the circumstances i kind of hate that uh situation where we well not even like the news that's based on tweets and facebook and forums where you know it's just one person kind of giving a really vague idea of what's going on um so it's kind of hard to figure out why, but I think, you know, it's not like he wasn't paid. Mm-hmm. You know, they have a page rate. So whatever he worked on, at least he's still getting paid. And it sucks that his book's getting canceled, but at the same time... Well, his book's not getting canceled. It's getting well, not changed. Canceled, getting he, changed. He got around. fired off of, of yes. the book. But yeah. we don't know why. Maybe it just wasn't the look they were going for from what it kind of sounds like. So I don't know. Whether you read it or not is completely up to you, but it doesn't really affect me personally one way or another. It's just kind of, you know, it is what it is. It sucks, but, you know, that's kind of the industry that, you know, we 
are around. Uh, just a lot of stories coming out of that side of town. It, it's it's for me. What I said before, it's a it's like a PR disaster. You know, you know, and it, it's nothing about the creative shakeups because. I'm sure that happens at both companies. I'm sure it happens at the indies as well, plenty of times. You know, it, it just feels like there's no lid coming you know, from there. You know, they don't seem to have the lockdown uh, on, the, on, on their creators and on the message that comes out. Um, look, I mean, I was excited to, to see this book. It, but again, I'm not like my knowledge of Keith Giffen and uh, Dimatteis really is, is just kind of tangential. It's not from a lot of experience. Um, I haven't read a lot of that stuff, but what I was hearing about it sounded cool. So I was excited about it. Um, I, I do like Howard Porter's art. So that part doesn't deter me. Uh, but like Steve said, I don't necessarily need another book that has the same tone as the other books I'm reading. That doesn't mean they shouldn't make it. It just means I'm probably less likely to stick with it. If the story is not outstanding, if the story is outstanding, then that's great. And then I'll keep reading it. But, you know, that sense of fun can kind of make up for story uh, shortcomings sometimes because you're just all along for the ride. Right. You could have ended up with a book that could have been their Hawkeye. Mm -hmm. Right. In, in a sense of you'd have a, a different sort of art style than they were using mm -hmm. with a different set of storytellers. You know, veteran guys want to do something a little different. And just that difference would be refreshing. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, now, uh, on the other side of the aisle, uh, we spoke about a rumor uh, a few weeks ago about John Romino Jr. and his contract with Marvel. And um, he was asked, comicbook.com asked him, what are the odds we'll see you outside Marvel? Yeah, there, and this is John Romino Jr. is saying, yeah, there's a good chance I'll do some work for DC. There's a better than good chance now. It really just came up because we couldn't agree on a contract with Marvel and there wasn't any kind of nastiness or anything like that. Just a disagreement here or there. DC is anxious to do something and I actually had a story idea they really like that applies to Superman. So the peripheral conversation started just before the San Diego con, but it's been a real long time since my contract expired and Marvel has been waiting for me to finish all the work that I had wanted to finish. And they've been touching on... They, they've been touching on contact, contract talks over the summer, but nothing of substance. So we're at this point. There's interest from DC that I have to consider, and there's interest from other people as well, from Image and Kirkman, and I've got to look at them all. There's possibility of just going freelance and playing around. Um, and they asked him about what Marvel would think about him freelancing for both companies. He said Marvel would not be thrilled if I were to freelance and work for both companies. I don't think that would be kosher with Marvel. I mean, not even DC, but I know Marvel would be against that. Um, and he also says they had a bunch, he has a bunch of creator owned projects, um, lined up, uh, Neil Gaiman, Mark Millar, Mark Wade, and so on. He and his things lined up with, with those kind of guys. Um, so Bob, this is a guy who's been Mr. Marvel for a very, very long time. Uh, what does it mean? I, I, I guess in a larger sense, in a historic sense that John Romita Jr. is maybe do stuff for DC. Well, forget what Marvel thinks. What does his dad think? <laughs> who was the art director and was mm. working at that company in the 50s. Mm. Um, it's Kirby going to DC in a certain way. He's not at that level, mm -hmm. but I, I think for people who grew up reading his stuff in the 90s or whatever he is, it's going to look really weird to see him drawing Superman except as a poster. Um, moving forward... I, I really think he'll freelance. I think in this day and age, he already has some toes in that water. I guess Kick-Ass is a creator-owned project that yes, it comes is. through Marvel. Yeah. So why not go that way? If he has all those other options, if neither DC or Marvel will be thrilled with him 
playing both sides of that fence, why not then explore everything you can while, mm-hmm. while he still has the chance, while the market will support that. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, I, I don't, I, I don't know that much John Reed Jr. work. I mean, I, I, I've seen a little bit of Kickass work. I've seen the stuff he does now. I've seen a little bit of the old stuff. I don't, I haven't grown up and w- with his art, so you know, I, I've never taken to his art that much. Uh, I think it's interesting that somebody, like you said, who is that connected to Marvel is going somewhere else. I mean, Steve, what do you think? Uh, well, I mean, just so I understand it, we're just talking about him. His contract is up with them, and he's basically free to do what he wants. Exactly, yeah, yeah. Um, well, I mean, it would be interesting to see if he could play both sides. Mm-hmm. I would love to just be a fly on the wall to see how that would work <laughs> out for him. But beyond that, uh, I'm sure there are plenty of people that would like to work with him or maybe have been even waiting to work with him just because of, yeah. if not for his talent, but for the name, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, the pedigree that he has. And I mean, why not? I mean, I, I'm not a, I, I'm not opposed to him as an artist. I, I don't remember a whole lot that I've, I've been overjoyed about, but I mean, he's okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, if a couple of creators have a story they want to tell and they want to try to get him along and maybe kind of boost their signal a little bit to get their book out there, then, you know, all the power to him, so long as it's a worthwhile project. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, Seven, do you think you want to chime in with uh, uh, John Romero Jr.? Um, I mean, he'll have no problem getting work if he decides to just be a freelancer. Mm-hmm. And, like, the important thing that, you know, I understand they have loyalties. He's been there for at Marvel for ages, and there is that, you know, want to keep them happy. But at the same time, publishers and editors do not own the freelancers. Mm -hmm. They can't get mad if you're not contracted to be with them. And, like, maybe they will get petty, but at the same time, let's face it, that's just being petty. Mm -hmm. I'd like to see him expand past Marvel and see what he can do and see maybe, like, especially, not him just going over to DC, but some creator own stuff yeah so i mean again like he's not one of my favorite artists ever but it could be really neat to see him expanding his horizons yeah going on what stephanie says i mean who knows if he decides to do some creator own projects it might really open him up a little bit you yeah. know give him the freedom that he needs he doesn't always have to be drawing cap and mm-hmm. and drawing those characters that when he's given a blank slate he can go nuts a little bit yeah, and it has seemed that the thing he's gotten the most critical praise for probably in the last 10 years or so is Kick-Ass, which is obviously a book that he co-created with Mark Millar mm-hmm. that he has a lot of passion for. So, you know, to see him do more stuff like that, you know, you probably get better work out of him. Because when I was doing research on this article, a lot of stuff was brought about him seeming frustrated with kind of the way his contract was structured and what he kind of had to do uh, under that contract, mm-hmm. so... And a gritty urban detective sort of thing. Yeah. It would be right up his alley. Yeah. Cap doesn't seem to be his view. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Um, This one is more like a public service announcement, but in case you guys didn't hear this week, uh, Collider, which is a book we talked about a couple of days, a couple last week or the week before, um, its name is changing uh, already uh, because there was some sort of legal dispute. Someone was claiming that they had the rights in like, print media to use the name Collider and they didn't talk about it in the article because it's still it's a case so it's actually going to be called um, FBP which is Federal Bureau of Physics um, which honestly to me sounds more like an ongoing series than Collider does you know to me uh, and I think it's a pretty good it's a pretty cool name it sounds like a BPRD kind yeah, of thing exactly exactly yeah or um, R.I.P.D. Exactly. Yes. It, it could be. Yeah, it could be Vertigo's uh, little thing. Yeah. 
um, but I, you know, it's the, you know, there's an interview on MTV geek where, um, the writer talks about, you know, he's not thrilled obviously that the name is changing after a book is already, you know, in, in people's hands, Yeah, but it's not going to change the direction of the book at all. It's going to go forward as it was. Its name is just going to change. So it'll be a collector edition. Exactly. Is it still going to be a uh, number two or are they going to, it's still going to be number two. Okay. Yeah. It's just going to be called FBP now. Federal Bureau of Physics. Oh, I liked Collider, but I'm fine with either one. Yeah, but just so everybody knows, because I, I, I think they'll probably cause a little confusion. You know, if yeah. your shop mm-hmm. isn't isn't you know very instructional, or maybe you you order online and you like the first book, I don't you know who knows how the systems are going to work. Just make sure you know that it's called FEP now, and it's not called Collider anymore. I'm sure if you had an online subscription or wherever it had an online pull list, it would the data entry person would do that correctly. But if you did it yourself, as you're saying, yeah. Exactly. You scan through how many pages of previews. Yeah. <laughs> but what's this book? Or, yeah, if, or if you're just going on, you know, if you're just going on Midtown Comics or something and just yeah. going through and, and clicking things, you're like, what's this FEP yep. number two? Okay, skip, go yep. next. It's good to, to know uh, that that's there. Um, and the movie side of things, uh, well, if, if you were following us on Twitter, you were lucky enough to see, hopefully before they tore mm-hmm. it down again, a little bit of the Guardians of Galaxy uh, footage from Comic Con. Yep, got to see a little bit of that. Um, and, and we also heard uh, it's pretty much now confirmed. I think it's confirmed that Vin Diesel is it's playing. It's confirmed. It's confirmed. Yep. Vin Diesel is playing Groot in Guardians of the Galaxy. Um, so we now are only missing uh, Rocket Raccoon as far as voice talent goes. And f- from what I'm hearing, Marvel wants to cast like a giant movie star to voice Rocket Raccoon. Hmm. Um, so, but all that being said, um, Stephanie, what do you think of the footage and what do you think of Vin Diesel playing Groot? Um, so the footage looked awesome. Uh, there was another clip that a friend of mine posted that we didn't post, like an extended kind of thing where they played, um, oh, what was the song? More Than a Feeling? Hooked yeah. on a Feeling. Hooked on a Feeling. Yeah, Hooked we, on a Feeling. No, we, and like, yeah. Whatever. Yeah. And it just like was so good. Mm. It looks funny. It looks exactly what i wanted it to be mm. so it kind of has me stoked <laughs> stoked i mean i was already going to see this movie on day one based on the cast and the cast alone mm-hmm. but now i'm just over the moon it looks fantastic i couldn't be happier with the direction they're going um don't know how i feel about vin diesel as group don't really care to be honest i mean I, it doesn't really i'm still gonna go see it space and end. i don't find vin diesel so why not Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. How does the raccoon? They should cast look? the rock as okay, rock. I'll get to that. Raccoon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, Steve, what do you think of the footage? The footage has me really excited. But uh, Bob just asked, and my my f- absolute favorite thing about the footage was getting to see Rocket Raccoon in action. Yeah. Just that one shot of him, just you know, firing off rounds with his mouth open, with the the muzzle flare mm-hmm. right in front of him. Um, that had me more stoked than anything else in the trailer. I mean, it still looks great. I'm, I'm really digging the vibe of it and the look of it, but I was petrified by what Rocket Raccoon would look like on screen. Yeah. I, 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 I watch a lot of animation and I pay attention to special effects and things like that. And when they said they were doing Rocket Raccoon, I was like, oh my God, please don't end up looking like Sly Cooper on the, you know, on the big screen <laughs> yeah. or anything like that. He looks like a real raccoon 
wearing like a space suit yeah. with guns perfect. and yeah. it's oh it's so perfect yeah yeah it's so absolutely perfect um i am i am more than hyped for mm. that movie yeah. uh the little bit even in the quality that it was mm. i just i really liked the tone it was funny yeah you know um and as far as vin diesel being groot i mean i i kind of wish that he was possibly going to be Thanos mm. or even the vision just to, to have more of a, what I would guess to be a role mm. in the things. But um, I'm now curious as to how they're going to film Groot. Is Groot going to, is he just going to voice it kind of like Iron Giant or is he actually going to be in a mocap suit and they're going to mm. work around him and his, they're just going to figure out a way for him mm. to, you know, participate in the movie and still just, I don't know. Is it good? At, like is, is Groot gonna be a, an ant with Vin Diesel's features in its face, <laughs> kind of thing? Because there is a there is footage of Groot in that yeah. uh, trailer that we saw. It's very quick, mm-hmm. but it is there, and it looks it looks just like the concept art. Yeah, like it looks awesome. Yeah, it probably is like the CG concept art. Yeah, it's probably not anything from the actual movie. Yeah, right, because they'd only been shooting for about two weeks when right, they right. showed that footage. Yeah. But, um, I mean, I, I like Vin Diesel a lot. Mm -hmm. Just, he's one of those actors, kind of like the rock. I don't know what my affinity for either one of them is. I just like them as Mm -hmm. people. Um, did you not hear me? I just said that they should cast rocket raccoon. Like the rock, the rock, rocket raccoon. raccoon. Oh my God. That'd be so cool. (laughs) Um, yeah, I don't know the both of them ever since the rundown, uh, with Sean William Scott, Mm -hmm. I fell in love with, with Dwayne Johnson and Vin Diesel. I love the Riddick movies and I have a lot of respect for him for having his own gaming company and Mm -hmm. being as involved with the nerd culture as he is. He plays D and D all these crazy things about him that are just so cool. Um, so whatever, so long as he's in the Marvel movies, I am down for it. And I'm very curious to see what he does with the character. Yeah. Joey Esposito said, even if Vin Diesel's only making a million dollars for Guardians of the Galaxy, that's $333,000 a word. (laughs) All he says in the comics is, I am Groot in the, in the new comics. I mean, he used to speak, so they don't, they're not sure exactly what he's going to, they're going to do with him. Um, but yeah, the footage was really cool. And the rocket raccoon stuff obviously is the highlight. And, uh, uh, Brett White, who writes for CBR, um, he uh, he tweeted, uh, DC Warner Brothers is all like, Wonder Woman's too confusing for a movie. And Marvel <laughs> Disney is all like, here's a raccoon with a machine gun. <laughs> and, a, and a talking tree. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so, you know, it looks... It, it looks different from the other movies. Obviously, the quality is low, so in, in, they're very quick cuts. There's not a ton there. Um, but I think that... Uh, Batista looks really imposing as as Drax. Uh, I love that they're doing practical stuff with him. I I love the, the little snippets you see of uh, Zoe Saldana as Gamora look really really good. So um, excited about that stuff. Uh, the, the one that I, I got to see, we didn't really get to see Chris Pratt talk at all, which I I wanted to see the clips that I heard about him talking, you know, and being all sarcastic and and, and that kind of stuff. But uh, even without that, I, I thought it was really impressive to look at uh, and really well cut, especially if the movie's only been shooting for two weeks. It's, it's really You know cool. what it looks like? Um, it looks like the losers in space. It does, kind of. Mm-hmm. Well, it looks like, I mean, it looks like if you followed the Chitari from Avengers back into space from where they came from, mm-hmm. and this is one of those galaxies. Mm-hmm. 
Um, I have a question. Did anybody happen to catch the X-Men Days of Future Past uh, trailer? No, I was trying to watch it, but I had a really bad reception. It wouldn't play for me. Oh, all right. Yeah, Yeah. I got to see it a couple times. Yeah. How was it? It was uh, it was interesting. It was not uh, what I expected. It mm. was a lot of a lot of well, a lot of storm mm-hmm. and a lot of uh, Wolverine. It was basically Professor X narrating the trailer, and it was bouncing between Magneto, Professor X, and Wolverine for the majority. Mm-hmm. Uh, didn't get to see any Sentinel stuff because obviously they probably haven't even yeah. filmed or or finished yeah. that stuff up yet. Uh, but it looks. Very serious, yeah. Like that's what very, I heard. Yes. very apocalyptic end times kind of stuff. Very, the tone is mm. like the the. If you walked into that room, the mood would just drop like you mm. were at a funeral, right? Yeah. Which isn't necessarily a bad thing, mm. given the circumstances of that story. That yeah. it really is some heavy stuff going down, and it looks like it's aim. Even even from the little bit that I saw, it looks like it's aiming to. Uh, set up a lot of things in the universe going forward with the X films. Mm -hmm. It looks like it's going to be like the seed that, that grows and they're going to have a bunch of things from these events that Mm -hmm. like there's plans beyond what we already know as like fans Mm -hmm. and stuff. Yeah. Uh, Well, we, we, what I did read was there, it's the movie is going to, feature them sending Wolverine back in time. It's not going to be Kitty who goes back Aww. in time. Yeah. Um, and I also want to remember that they offered him $100 million to do four more movies uh, as Wolverine. Uh, uh, did you say yes? I don't have... That's just a rumor, so who knows if it's even true. Uh, the Vin Diesel stuff, I think it's cool. You know, I mean, I like Vin Diesel as well. Uh, you know, he the Iron Giant, it's an amazing movie. I mean, this does not necessarily... Mm-hmm. It's not a, a one-to-one comparison, obviously, but he can do a lot with very little if it's the right... If it's the right character. Yeah, he probably had 20 words in that one. Yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, it's a little bit let down just because of all the hype that came along with it. You know, we were, I think we were expecting something more from yeah. it. Uh, and it's he's Groot, which, I mean, it could end up being a great character for him to play. Um, and it's very cool that he's in it. And it's very cool that they've amassed kind of this really big cast. Mm. You know, the the obviously like the Avengers has a big cast, but it's because they collected a big cast out of making movie stars of other people. You know, this is a lot of really big people in in this movie, yep. so that should be uh, really cool to see. Um, yeah, Simone tweeted like the funniest thing about it too. She was like, "God damn it, Marvel! Are you gonna make me actually like Guardians of the Galaxy? <laughs> damn you to hell!" <laughs> It's it's crazy, you know, and then the movie has built up so much goodwill since Comic Con. It, it's it's pretty intense. Um, uh, they didn't really show anything new at D23 this weekend. They didn't they didn't do much with the live action stuff. They uh, as far as the comic book stuff goes, they showed more cat footage, they showed more Thor footage, and we got some reports on it. There was a cool interview, I think it was on I think I don't know if it was on Slash Film with Alan Taylor who's directing Thor the Dark World talking about the Marvel kind of movie method and how it's very much a moving target for them. Like they they are always working to to, to make the movie better they're reshooting re-editing you know and, and, he, and he says you know it's not we, we do reshoot it's not about that we shot something wrong you need to reshoot it it's that in the editing process they're like okay now we need this this that and this so we go back and we shoot more and they schedule time in it they said there were a, a bunch of scenes that they they made for loki that were reshoot scenes because of how well his little bits were working in the movie they wanted him to be in it more so nothing wrong with that nothing wrong with that at all nope um so yeah, some some happy news coming out of the the, the movie the movie side of things. Um, uh, we also have sales numbers 
that that we got in. Um, oh, and I will say something too. We uh, I don't really want to talk about it too much because it's it's a big topic. But uh, I'm sure a lot of people have there heard heard about the the panel that was it was uh, oh, the Mark Millar. Yeah. It, no, not no. even the Mark Millar thing. The Mark Millar thing is in okay. whole, there was this was a whirlwind week for male comic book writers saying shitty things. But the yeah. um, there was a panel with Todd McFarlane and Lynn Ween and Jerry Conway. Mm. And it's it's gotten a lot a lot of attention. Um, if you, I would suggest people read the entire transcript of the panel and read the long articles about it because yes, they do say some things that can be construed as um, as sexist, and they I think they are in general a little bit uh, not forward thinking. But if you read the entire thing, it's not as cut and dry as them being like women don't belong in comic books, which is kind of what the headline has kind of been that people have been taking yeah. away from it. There's a lot more said there than just that. Um, you know, uh, so a lot of these things are opinions and not saying, you know, women shouldn't write or be in comics. Um, don't get me wrong. They say some things that aren't, aren't what you'd yeah. call progressive, but I would read the whole article before you jump to conclusions from just people who want you to be upset about what, what, what was said. Um, the Mark Millar thing also, again, it's, it's a tough thing to talk about because he, the thing he talked about was he, he was talking about rape as a plot point in, in his stories. Um, and I think a lot of people decided to run it as Mark Millar thinks rape is okay, you know, uh, which I think is an unfortunate thing to run it as because you want to have a real conversation about using it as a plot point. That's fine. Don't, don't, accuse Mark Millar of endorsing rape, you know? I mean... <laughs> no, but when he... Here's the thing, though. Yeah. Uh, when he compares it as a plot point, it's the same mm -hmm. as decapitation. Mm -hmm. uh, no. No, Mr. Millar. No, it isn't. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it carries a much different emotional weight to the person who it's being done to, so on and so forth. Uh, some of the other comments could be thought of as we're trying to describe the history mm -hmm. Of where things went wrong, yeah, and yeah. you could always look at that from the wrong angle. Yeah, that you know, the rape comment was a bit strong for me. It's it definitely is strong, yeah. and Mark Millar is it has this has been controversy him for a very long time. Um, I don't know, Stephanie, if you saw this story at all this I week. Did. Do, do you want to chime in on it? Um, I mean, it's a really heavy subject that I think kind of will get absorbed, but like, eh. it's hard to kind of concisely say something in a short period of time on it it's mm -hmm. he said shitty things like really mm -hmm. shitty things and yeah you can put things like rape in your story but for not, not for good reasons that's a horrible way to put it but you know mm -hmm. like if it's advancing the plot you don't just have that there for the sake of having it there it's not just you know it's it's a really sensitive subject and especially like not even just especially, just it's shitty. It's a shitty thing to write about. So, like, I feel like it needs to be really, really necessary to your story. Like, this is your character's yes. history or something. It can't just be there. You know, like, I, I don't know. I'm not really making much sense on the no, whole thing. No, definitely, ma definitely making plenty sense. Of sense. Plenty of sense, Stephanie. It just, to me, it needs to be more than just... This person's shitty, so he's a bad guy, so he's going to rape, like, four women, and that's how we establish he's a bad dude. Like, it's, I don't know. Anyways. 
Someone else? You nailed it. Yeah, you, no, you d- no, I think I think you make you make very very good points uh in in that way. Steve, do you want to chime in with anything? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> it's like Stephanie said, it's a really it's a it's a shitty thing. Mm. I mean, it's a shitty thing in in life and I mean, I've I've known people that have been through stuff and I I know how sensitive they are or how much it's shaped little parts of them and little pieces of them and stuff like that. And uh, it's just, it's one of those, in the article they said something about how it's not a taboo. They were saying, oh, it's taboo to write about. No, it's not. It's a real thing. It's Mm -hmm. a real thing that happens to people all the time. It's probably happening somewhere right now. You know, it's just, it's a terrible event. Unfortunately, it's part of our, you know, society and part of our lives that there are people that, that commit these horrible acts if you choose to write about it, if you choose to include it in your story, you better damn well have a good reason for doing it. And you better have like your ducks in a row for when somebody might challenge you on having that be a part of your story. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you got to be not only do you have to be mature about it, but it has to lend to the character in a way that it shapes them positively. I think that's the only way that you could really write about it and and have not people be okay with it, but you know what I mean? It's, yeah, no, uh, you know, it, absolutely. It, it's gotta it's be the last, oh, go ahead, Steph. I'm sorry. Oh, it's just something that like, okay, anyone can be decapitated and technically sure. Anyone can also be raped, but there is no one more susceptible to rape than women. Yeah. And as a man, there's no possible way that he can live or even understand the idea of, getting your keys out while you're walking down the street, like even though you're like a block away from your house, just in case someone's following you and you have to get into your like apartment quickly, there's no way he can understand how you need to be followed. Like you need somebody to walk with you to the bus stop because you might not get home safely. If you don't, there's no way he can comprehend that. And to put it into like a story, you know, casually, like, well, anyone can get murdered is just unacceptable. Agree. All right. I think I think that's that's good a, a good a, I think we're going to we're going to a good opinion we're going to get uh, on the topic yeah. uh, in in this uh round table. Like I said it was a very it was a very heavy week with these stories um uh and as with Mark Millar usually there isn't Unlike the other story I talked about, there isn't a lot to go below the surface. Mark Lawrence says these very incendiary things and just kind of walks away. That's kind of what he does all of the time. So you can take what he said at face value very easily. Um, the other story I would definitely encourage, it's actually a very good read. If you go and read the panel, um, to see how, even to see how people think. Are these Because, you know, it's easy to hop on someone like Todd McFarlane, obviously. But these are other, you know, Jerry Conway and Len, Len Wein are are storied, very famous creators mm-hmm. who've created Wolverine and the Punisher, respectively. So it, it's, I think it's important to read that thing all, all the way through. Um, taking us back to the lighter end of things, we, we got, we got the, uh, the comic book sales figures um, this week. Um, and, and being declared as, um, well, they're saying it's the second best month for comic sales in the 21st century. Um only topped by I think October 2012 which had a mark of 47.3 million. Uh July's orders were 46.8 million. It was the best summer month in the Diamond exclusive era in dollar terms. So obviously we're not adjusting for inflation here mm-hmm. or anything like that. Um 
as far as dollars go, uh, comics, you know, monthly books made up 7.65% in the dollar uh, section and graphic novels made up 25% uh, of wow. that. Um, but units obviously are exactly, you know, you know, opposite. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, and the numbers are very interesting. Once again, for the second month in a row, Superman Unchained is the number one book in, in, in the country. Um, it's, it was 165,000 copies, uh, followed uh, next by Batman number 22, which 132,000 copies. Guardians of the Galaxy, the number three book, with 110,000 copies. Justice League, number 22, 110,000, obviously buoyed by the Trinity War uh, event that's going on right now. Batman Annual, number two. 101,000, Batman Superman, number two, uh, 92,000, Justice League of America was the number seven book with 86,000, followed by uh, issues 13 and 14 of Superior Spider-Man, which had 81 and 80,000 respectively, and the number 10 book of the month was Superior Spider-Man Team-Up at 70, uh, sorry, 76,000 copies. That's the big stunner for me in the top 10. Yeah, yeah. It was a good week for a good month for Spider-Man. Then follow closely by All New X-Men at 74, Walking Dead at 72, Avengers at 72, Hunger came number 1 came in at 70,000, Uncanny X-Men number 8 was also at 70,000. Um interesting enough, you know, we we've talked a lot in the last couple months and when these sales numbers come up uh, about uh the disparity and how Marvel was kind of shooting ahead of DC for a little while. Uh, but this month, th- th- that swung a-, a little bit as DC uh, won in dollar share th- this month o- over Marvel. Though Marvel still won at unit share, even though DC put out a few more books. So yeah, they're running that chart now. How many books they? Put yeah, out. exactly. Yeah. Which is interesting. It's interesting to to see that. You know, um, DC shipped ninety one comics um, and had eighty comics in the top three hundred. Um, Marvel. Marvel shipped 81 comics and had 79 in the top 300 um, and shipped 37 graphic novels. Image shipped 42 books and uh, had 26 in the top 300. IDW 38 and actually had 28 books in the top 300, so more books than Image in the top 300. Um, Dark Horse, 35 comics shipped and 23 in the top um, uh, 300. Interesting enough, Valiant shipped 7 comics seven in the top 300 wow so, yeah so there's seven for seven on that um interesting to see those numbers and how they start to shake out um i think it's fascinating dc had six of the top seven they did but marvel yeah. had 13 of the top 20 yeah so basically everything from seven down <laughs> yeah. was was marvel except for walking dead which yeah. sold still an amazing seven seventy thousand which is crazy which is crazy yeah. uh because that wasn't where that book was selling even when we first started this podcast and reading out. It was the best-selling indie book, obviously, but it wasn't selling 70,000. And in the last couple of months, it's been consistently in in the top 10. I mean, that that show's popularity has done wonders for the book's popularity and in kind. Um, Steve, what do you think about these these sales numbers, hearing them? I think it's awesome. Um, It has me really excited because... It means that comics, for whatever reason, are starting. Well, they're selling really well, mm-hmm. or they're they're maybe it's an upswing. Maybe we're starting to do something right. I think it's really cool that Superior Foes of Spider Man is on there. Um, 
you know, good word of mouth must have spread because that book was totally worth getting some attention. And it's really cool to know that it's on that list, especially in, in such a high ranking. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I would love to say that this is that we'll see more of this. It would be nice. Uh, I hope it's not just like a fluke report where it's like we get all excited and it's like, oh my God, like some really good stuff is actually getting out to people. And then we find out the, the next round that they're back down again. Mm-hmm. And it's just, you know, whether people can't afford them or whatever. But um, any any kind of uh, increase in sales for comics is is a good thing. Well, it was a five-week month, though. It was, yeah. That's true. So, But even at that, the numbers are still up. Yeah, I mean, the, the fact that you know, just having two books over the 130,000 mark yeah. is the first time it's happened, I think, since the new 52, or I guess not. No, that's not true, because when the Marvel number ones happen, they always jump up, and Batman has stayed pretty much at the 130,000 number uh, since it came down to its level. Um you know, Superman Unchained did pretty well. It, it, a little over two hundred thousand last month, and now it's still one hundred sixty thousand. It's very good appreciation. Um, the it, 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 the the Guardians of the Galaxy bouncing back up to number three is very surprising and very very cool. Um, it's amazing that the Guardians of the Galaxy is the number three book uh, on the on the on the sales charts. Um, Stephanie, any any surprises for you in the, the this list? I don't think so. I'm actually really happy with Guardians of the Galaxy being in the top three. Mm-hmm. Um, that was probably like my biggest surprise from Marvel this year. And it's just, I, I'm enjoying it so much. And it's a book, again, one of those books that I never thought I would be reading if you'd asked me like a year or two ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm, I just, I love it. And I'm glad that other people clearly love it too. And Obviously, I think it's got something to do with so much talk about it right now Mm -hmm. from San Diego. And people are like trying to, you know, jump on that bandwagon before the movie gets here. But I don't care. I don't care why it is. I'm just happy that a good book is getting, you know, its dues. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. And then overall, I mean, I just want the numbers to keep going up or Mm -hmm. at least, you know, remain awesome. So I, I don't know. Absolutely, kudos, no, no. Absolutely. Kudos, com- comics industry. <laughs> um, and we said Superior Spider-Man Team Up was the number ten book, selling very, very well. Like we, like we said, at seventy-six thousand. Um, Superior Foes of Spider-Man did very well uh, as well, sixty-one thousand. It's it's yeah. its first, um, and it, it's in its first issue. Uh, some other number ones this month: Avengers AI at sixty-eight thousand. Um, we uh, actually uh, number twenty eight is all new Fathom from Aspen, which is one of those one dollar comics, uh, fifty four thousand, um, oh. which is a great start selling them for a dollar. Obviously, really helped the, the, those numbers, and it, you know, hopefully for an indie publisher, it gets people to keep buying the book. You know, when it goes up to its regular price, um, really good numbers for Batman sixty six. The print issue fifty thousand copies for the the, the print uh, issue of Batman sixty six. Um, Deadpool kills Deadpool, uh, 53,000 proving once again that his books might not sell a hundred thousand, but he's supporting two books that sell about 50,000 copies in the same month. And that's a lot for a character. And that's, it's impressive. The, the buying power of Deadpool. I, uh, I actually spent a little time with Deadpool this week and I, I read Deadpool kills Deadpool and it's, 
It's good. Yeah, it's good. It's funny. It's uh, Cullen Bunn, obviously, who's who's writing Fearless Defenders. We've been really liking his work there. Yeah, yeah. It's real interesting to see the the difference between his his work with Deadpool and then the regular run that's going on, which has also been good. Mm-hmm. That character drives me insane because <laughs> every time, like, I start out one of the issues and I'm like, why am I buying this? Why am I reading this? Why am I still doing this? And by the middle of the issue, I start to kind of break. And then by the end, they manage to do something that snags me for another one, whether it's looking at the cover for the next issue or the fact that they're now introducing a uh, villain that's a pimp. Yeah, yeah. And I'm just like, like yeah. I need to I need to be there for that. Yeah. Uh, was it the tagline is sometimes the past comes back to bite you and sometimes it's, some, it's a pimp. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, yeah, I mean, the last issue was the, one of those, like, throwback to the 70s yeah, issues, yeah. and uh, it had uh, Luke Cage was in it with, like, mm-hmm. the big afro, you know, mm-hmm. oh, Christmas, and all that <laughs> crap, and it was just, it was classic, it was mm-hmm. awesome, yeah. and it leads into the new stuff. I like the way that they, they bounce that around a little bit. Yeah, it's it's cool, definitely very cool. Um uh, Superior Carnage uh, did very well. Did well in the first issue, forty eight thousand for that miniseries number one. Um, uh, both issues of Ind- is Ind- Indestructible Hulk is thirty nine and forty, uh, selling forty five thousand copies each uh, for that book, which is double shipped. Um, and there's some more indie books in the top fifty. Star Wars number seven, forty one thousand, still doing very well. The number forty two book was East of West number four, still selling forty three thousand. Very very good um, for that. Uh, Hawkeye came in at number fifty on the dot at forty thousand. Very good for that book, um, which it's selling better than Iron Man. It's selling better than Wolverine. You know, oh. so um, very very good uh, for that book. And. Uh, We've been talking. We're gonna be. We talked a lot about her, and we're gonna talk a lot about her in the future. Wonder Woman's book is right thirty five thousand uh, right steady. now. Lost a little. Yeah. Lost a couple of percent. So interesting, interesting month. It's 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 crazy to look through these and see the numbers and, and see where everything falls and see the stuff we're reading. Um, you know the the X Men regular X Men book number three is sixty five thousand. So that's it's a lost. nice level. It's good. It's hitting. That's a good number for it. Um, it's it's a it was a great month all around and i love seeing all of these different types of books obviously it's dominated by the big by, by the big two but there's all indie books in there that are really making a cut in there and obviously this week we have saga returning mm-hmm. which i think you'll see another boost in sales because in in the in as far as trades go um number one was hawkeye volume two uh number two was avatar the last airbender volume five um but then number three and four are saga volume two and saga volume one um, so those things, those books still selling very, very well. Um, Black Bolt, something inhuman this way comes, uh, <laughs> uh, which is seven ninety nine, uh, is number five. Kickass two Prelude Hit Girl was number six. Ferris Volume two number seven. Um, but we had two before Watchmen trades in in the top ten, um, which are the Comedian Rorschach and the Night Owl Doctor Manhattan. And number nine was an Invincible Volume eighteen Death of Everyone. Interesting because there's no Walking Dead in that wow. in the trades, but I'm sure next huh. time the next volume comes out, they'll all be they'll be the, never it'll be the whole top ten will be Walking Dead books, <laughs> including that first one which manages to sell all the oh time. You think everyone on Earth already owned the thing? Yeah, nope. It just keeps on selling, keeps on selling. All right, so uh, we there's a couple other relevant news stories what we're going to talk about in our topics. So we're going to save those those for then, but. Um, that's it for the news. Um, let's move on to our books of the week. 
Steve, why don't you start out for us? Ha ha. I did not expect that. <laughs> Let's see. Hold on. Let me go through my little pile here. <laughs> oh, la, 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 la. Okay, just a couple of quick little things. Um, one of the things that I want to I want to push, I mean, I've pushed this with each issue, but now that it's over, I could tell you unequivocally that it was awesome. Mm-hmm. But uh, The Legend of Luther Strode from Justin Jordan and Trad Moore ended this past week, and it ended with a rather bloody and explosive finish uh this is a really really twisted story (laughs) it's really twisted it's filled with colors and action and movement and a very twisted but endearing little love story uh not so much a love story but more of just a a bond and it's really strange that you feel for these characters um meaning luther and and his girlfriend that's in the story that they don't even get to spend an, like a lot of time together because they're in constant danger and peril that there's no time for you know romance and quiet moments like there's no such thing as that in mm-hmm. this but the way that they fight for each other the way that they get like destroyed and shot and ripped apart and all these things to keep one another safe and to constantly back each other up is really 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 just it's it's a part of the book that you'll really enjoy that you might not expect to. You don't even know it's happening until you start to like, you just, you want to see them win. You want to see them be together and circumstances constantly tear them apart. And it's a really cool, um, like romance dynamic that you don't really see in a lot of books. Uh, usually when they're trying to establish a a bond, there's a lot of, you know, moments with one another Mm -hmm. where there's things professed and things said. It's more about, the about actually doing stuff for someone instead of talking about it you're actually displaying the fact that you would jump in front of a tommy gun or a helicopter gun to keep that person safe Mm -hmm. so very Mm -hmm. cool uh commitment what's that (laughs) that's commitment you jump in front of a machine gun right i there's there's only a few people i'd do that for (laughs) so uh as i said earlier or uh the superior foes of spider-man was yet another great issue to uh, this new run from uh, Nick Spencer. It's just, it's so, it's funny. Mm. It's funny, it's light, uh, and it's exactly what I need in the middle of reading a whole bunch of Marvel stuff with all you know, the events going on and even the stuff in Superior Spider-Man, which again was amazing. And... It's nice to know that there's now, like, I mean, there's, there's a few, but there's a Spider-Man related book that went back to the funny. Mm-hmm. Like we used to have that at the start of Avenging Spider-Man last year mm-hmm. or two years ago. And then it kind of got a little serious and then it just went away and now it was changed into something else. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's really cool to to be in the, in the Spider-Man universe and be reading something that is so funny because there's just a lot of big and serious shit going down in Superior Spider-Man that you're really not going to get a whole lot of humor out yeah. of that book anymore, which is unfortunately one of the things that has been passed for the sake of having Otto be mm-hmm. Spider-Man or Peter Parker now. Mm-hmm. Um, you get um, lines like, it's always Duramamu with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> in the in the Superior Foes of Spider-Man, which I love. Yeah. Uh, I don't want to go to... Are you talking about Sheltered? I didn't... Rob didn't get it in the shop. Ugh. And so I, I didn't to, get it yet. Yeah, I had to go elsewhere. I'm going to go get it, it this week. Um, really cool. That's all I'll cool. say. It's awesome. really cool. It builds off of the first issue really well. 
and uh, I'm I'm still really on board, and I, I want to see where it goes. I'm really enjoying the progression of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's really cool to have all this, what happened happen, all this chaos going on, and now you're introducing characters that weren't necessarily a part of the plan, and it's throwing a wrench into the works. Uh, it's slow, mm-hmm. but it's good. It's not like a dragging slow. It's they're building. They're they're. They're biding their time. They're kind of like spacing it out, mm. which I think is cool. Yeah. Uh, but the main thing that I want to talk about this week, uh, I finally went back and decided to catch up with some stuff. And I wanted to put my efforts towards DC for a bit. Uh, and I've been collecting things and collecting things and not reading them. And one of the things that I didn't get to, that I didn't give a fair shot, was Swamp Thing. You know, you had Scott Snyder and um, Yannick Paquette primarily mm-hmm. doing uh, Swamp Thing. And, you know, they had the beginning of Swamp Thing, and then they went into the whole Rot World arc, you know, coinciding or collaborating with Animal Man, Jeff Lemire, and Scott Snyder, this big epic battle between the red and the green. And for 20 issues or so, well, for 18 issues, you got, like, a really big uh, Swamp Thing monster-filled love story mm-hmm. is pretty much what you got with the whole thing with Abigail and Arcane and all these things. And Alec basically learning what it is to be the Swamp Thing and his responsibilities and such. And then Scott Snyder left to do other things. He left to do Superman and such. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people were kind of left with like, well, where to go? Do I stick with it? Do I drop it? Because there's so many other things going on. I decided to stick with it, uh, and one of the reasons I did was because Charles Soule, who wrote a uh, trade I talked about a while ago called Strange Attractors, which I absolutely loved, uh, is now penning Swamp Thing, and I gotta tell you, it's awesome. Mm-hmm, it it's really awesome. Uh, it builds a lot of what Scott Snyder had established. It really, it's the next step. Like I, The first issue was kind of funny. It had like a funny line here and then, and but it didn't really tell you where it was going to go. You had Scarecrow, and then there was a big surprise guest at the end. But what you get here with uh, Charles Soule's Swamp Thing is a couple of smaller stories, like smaller arcs, instead of one big sweeping epic thing that a lot of the times you can kind of just get lost in mm-hmm. and maybe forget a lot of the details because that story has been going on for so long that when it ends, you kind of forget the significance of some of the things that get wrapped up Mm -hmm. and you don't feel it as much. Um, What Charles Soule is doing here, he tells a story involving Swamp Thing. He gets poisoned by a a special fear gas from the Scarecrow and it ends up basically putting him into this crippled state where he falls to the ground. He goes dormant, like he has no, no soul or whatever. And all of the energy that resides in his body and everything that he commands starts to take over Metropolis. Mm-hmm. So all these like vines and, and crazy mm-hmm. plants and stuff start taking over Metropolis. And of course, Superman comes along. And the whole point of him even being in Metropolis, Swamp Thing to begin with, was to have a discussion with Superman about what to do with this massive amount of power that he's now bestowed. He doesn't know what to do with it. He doesn't know how to be the Swamp Thing. And he wants Superman to teach him. So you got that story. And then in a weird move, uh, that's that's two books. And then in 21, there's a story that starts called The Murder Poet, 
which is this woman comes and basically asks the Swamp Thing to honor an oath from several generations mm. ago that he has no idea what she's talking about, anything like that, and decides to put her on hold. Says, I don't know if I'm going to help you, which is odd. Yeah, yeah. You know, usually they're like, oh, I'll, I'll honor this thing. And he's basically like, well, you know, that wasn't me. Yeah. I don't have to do this. Yeah. So he leaves her. And in between that, he ends up going on this other excursion with John Constantine. Mm-hmm with this thing called the whiskey tree. And the entire Mm. time there's this guy called the cedar running around. It's really fucking good. Yeah. Like it's really good. Like with all these little stories over these few issues, so much has happened. It's, it's still got like a spine with this, this villain kind of in the shadows, Mm. but he's told three separate stories in five issues of him being Mm. on the book. Yeah. It's really cool. And one thing that I'll close with this for people that like Swamp Thing and thought that perhaps the Scott Snyder stuff didn't display his powers enough, mm-hmm. all you get in Charles Soule's run is him using his powers. Yeah. There's some really, really awesome moments. I never knew what Swamp Thing was really able to do mm-hmm. until I read this. Mm-hmm. So it's sick. So if you're on the fence, curious, or you don't even know that you would like it, mm-hmm. Swamp Thing. Awesome. Hmm. Yeah. Now the five issues are sort of are they sort of linked to each other? Yes. Okay. So even though they're separate arcs, they're all yeah swirling back together. There, there's a there's a villain. That, I guess he's new. I'm not familiar with too much Swamp Thing, so I could be wrong. But there's a villain going around called the Cedar, and mm-hmm. basically what he's doing is he's planting things around the world in places where they don't belong. Mm-hmm. There's like a desert community that has no water. They have no food. Their trade routes are fucked up from wars and they can't, they're going to die. Cedar comes along. He drops a seed into the sand and all of a sudden there's an oasis and there's trees and there's life and there's vegetation and they're doing so well. And Alec comes along. He's like, I understand that you guys, like your, your way of life has changed, but this is not supposed to be. Mm-hmm. This is not natural. This is magic. Yeah. This is not a part of the natural order. And he just, with like a wave of his hand or a snap of his finger, he closes that shit down. Mm-hmm. And he's kind of wondering, like, is this what I'm supposed to be doing? Is this how I uphold the balance between the red and the green? I don't know. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. why he goes oh. to look for Superman. It's really good. Yeah. It's really, really good. It's very, I, very good. Yeah. I definitely uh, recommend it. Yeah. Very, very good stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, awesome. Awesome. Uh, Stephanie, what do you got for us? Um, so I read a lot of things this week. They were awesome. Um, so first of all, just kind of lightly mentioning, uh, Uncanny Mm X-Force. Um, and don't know what issue they're actually up to right now, but I went back and I'd read issue one when it came out and I went and read issue two and three and I'm actually really enjoying it and I'm not entirely sure why I left it. So... I'm going to actually keep giving that a try for, you know, a few more issues, at least until this arc wraps up. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, so I, Uncanny X-Force was awesome. I suspect, Bob, did you read uh, X-Factor 260? My book of the week. <laughs> okay, we'll get to that then. Okay. Yay, I read it too. <laughs> so um, I finished reading, and this came out, I think, a little couple weeks ago, but I believe the trade is coming out. From Dark Horse, and that is uh, the complete Last of Us American Dreams. Mm-hmm. Um, so I finished that up, and I just kind of wanted to say it was really good. Loved the story um, and the kind of prequel for Ellie. Um, 
it didn't really take the turn I thought it would. And I'm not going to spoil anything for anyone who hasn't finished the game or hasn't played the game who wants to. And I won't spoil it if you want to read the trade itself. But at the end of the game, you kind of get a glimpse. Um, Ellie briefly speaks about her past. Um, and, you know, what brought her to that point. Um, and I thought that, you know, the the comic book would explain that. Because mm-hmm. um, the... Last of Us, uh, American Dreams, it deals with her and her friend. So they're kind of trying to, they're running around, they're in a military school, and they don't appreciate the fact that they have protection and an education, whereas other people are stranded out in this world with, you know, crazy shit going down. They just don't appreciate that because they're kids. And none of us ever appreciate what we have when we're kids, right? Mm-hmm. So... You know, it focuses a lot on that, but, you know, in their very scary world. And it just, I thought that it would resolve some things or explain some things that happened in the game, but they don't. So, um, I don't know what else to kind of say on the subject without spoiling it, but um, if you have any questions about it, you can message me or email me privately. But it's it's really good, but again, it just didn't really go where I thought it would. Um, I read... You know, Saka, which is really awesome. You guys are going to love it. <laughs> um, but my book of the week, it ties into Saga, so that's why I kind of brought it up. Um, hmm. it, well, not really ties in. But anyways, whatever. <laughs> Mystery Society number one. So this was a six-issue miniseries uh, from IDW, written by Steve Niles, with art by Fiona Staples. Ah, the tie-in. See? I get it now. Yeah. Yeah. Um. It's so good. I found the trade at um, at a store in Toronto, and I didn't pick it up, but I found like a lot of the uh, single issues. So I read the first issue yesterday and was just blown away. I mean, first of all, Fiona Staples' art is like always fantastic. Always. Um, she's got a bit more of a neutral palette in this as opposed to kind of, I don't know, I feel like, Saga has a really all over the place. Like it's lots of colors and sometimes it's neutral and it just kind of depends on, you know, what's happening. Mm-hmm. Um, but so far all around, it's kind of this neutral palette, but still very, very, very Fiona staples. Um, but the writing by Steve Niles is so awesome. Basically it's this story of um, Nick Hammond and Anastasia Collins. They're these founding memory memories. goddamn words members of the mystery society so that's the name of the book they're kind of out to and again if this isn't exactly what it's about sorry but i this is the impression i've gotten from the first issue um so they kind of are out to expose hidden truths like they go to area 51 and they're just at this point in time in this first issue they're trying to recruit more people for the the mystery society um it's supernatural and there's just all these crazy elements that kind of come together to make it just a really incredible read. It's fun, but it's also, you know, got that, I don't know, almost like an espionage kind of story, like, or capers, shenanigans. Shenanigans. There we go. 
it's hard. I guess no one else has really read it or anything. I don't think you guys mm. have, right? I'm, no. st- I'm staring and drooling at it right now on my phone. Oh, did you look it up? I did. Wow. You know me. I'm going to buy it. Yeah. It's <laughs> you, so you sold, good. You sold me. But basically, it's kind of like right off the bat, you learn um, the story's kind of being told from Nick's perspective. Like the first few pages are him um, at his delivery to the prison where he's going to be spending X and number of years, I guess. Um, so, and there's reporters there because the mystery society has made a really big name for themselves. And um, they're asking him questions and obviously some things he can't answer because lawyers and other things, you know, somebody asks him what's their origin story. And um, it obviously starts this whole thing of where did the mis- mystery society come from? And, uh, it was really good and it was amazing fun and it leaves you on this massive cliffhanger right on the end of issue one and I do have the rest of them but I just kind of didn't have the time to get into the rest of them but I basically want to hurry this up so that I can go read them so like (laughs) chop chop guys yikes I'll make it as long as possible now yeah I just found a bunch (laughs) of copies online so cool huzzah awesome it sounds like a birthday gift I have to pick up for a friend of ours (laughs) Um, so is that it, Stephanie? It is. All right, so let's chop, chop. On <laughs> so, uh, I'll actually, I'll go next, and then Bob, you're going to okay. close this out, all right? So um, the first thing I want to talk about uh, is um, All New X-Men, number, number 15. That's what we're on right now. Mm-hmm. Um, it's obviously written by Brian Michael Bendis, but the art is by David LaFuente. Um, and if any, if you've been reading this series, we all know that uh, it's been done by Stuart Immonen, Immonen, and David Marquez, who are very um, realistic artists. They have a very, they have a similar style, very finely detailed, you know, and it has fit the tone and tenor of the book very, very well. Um, the And the cover, again, is an imminent cover, so it looks like the rest of the series has looked. The moment you open this book up, though, it's like opening up a Saturday morning cartoon, um, and the, the, the content of the book fits the art perfectly. Um, there's romance, there's laughs, there's superhero stuffs going on, there's teenagers being teenagers. Um, hormones. <laughs> Fuente. There are, are some hormones as well. Um, <laughs> there is a scene where Cyclops, young, you know, young Cyclops and young Iceman are out, they're hitting on girls, they're picking up, they're picking up some chicks, that, and <laughs> there's a... Um, a car chase going on and they stop the car chase. They stop the guy who's, you know, like suck up, like flips him in the air and Iceman catches him with the ice and the cops arrest him and they kind of walk away as heroes um, until Wolverine comes and kind of breaks up the party. Mm-hmm. And they're like, we got to go, you know, like dad's here um, basically is yeah. kind of the situation. Uh, you know, it was a kind of interlude issue that doesn't, it doesn't advance the, the kind of the overall plot with, mystique and the new brotherhood of evil mutants that's been developing in in both books in 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 many ways they should have picked a different name you know it sort of gives away their i know it's not a good name for a group (laughs) it it, it does not really fit into the modern like you know uh nebulous who's a good guy who's a bad guy thing if you call yourself the brotherhood of evil mutants you're probably bad guys uh you don't have much of a leg to stand on but uh this issue it, you get to see like that scene where they 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 stop the car chase. They're doing like regular superhero stuff, and as much as I've been loving all these X Men books, the one thing the X Men don't really do a whole lot of is regular superheroing. 
they're always fighting with themselves. They're always dealing with global problems and other mutants and, and society and all stuff. And this was just good old fashioned. There's a bad guy doing something. We're gonna stop him. We're gonna do our thing. And it was really nice to see. Yeah. I heard I saw some reviews like around there. They were like, "Oh, the series is kind of meandering." But this is this is the kind of meandering that I love because we got some character development with Gene and with Hank and, and you know with young Scott and, and uh, young Bobby and. And that was really great. And the art, it really was like reading a Saturday morning cartoon. Like, I would watch a cartoon that looked like this book mm-hmm. looks. And that that was what really stood out to me. It just it just hit me. You know, I, at first I opened up and I was like, I was kind of disappointed. I was like, oh, like, this is going to, I've been really loving the other art mm-hmm. and this is going to be a little different. But I ended up going, like, just loving it. Um, it really worked with the stuff between Gene and Hank that happens in, in the book. Um and there's actually a couple really great scenes between uh, Rachel Gray and Young Jean who have not met yet. Yeah, <laughs> they have not met yet. So there's like these scenes where they're kind of passing each other, um, which d- don't really get resolved, but they're 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 nice little vignettes and, and humor, but also some emotion to them as well. Um, really surprised me. Really, really good. Steve, did you read it? I did. Mm-hmm. I did. I really enjoyed it. It was a nice. Again, it's one of those kind of day off issues but still manages to to have some underlying things the hank and gene stuff has me really jazzed Mm -hmm. Uh, i don't know how much i can talk about it though you want to say too much yeah um let's just say we're talking about young hank in here young gene not old beast hank let's just say that when they when they (laughs) they started the you know the all new x-men and they did this whole reboot they didn't Mm -hmm. want to call it that but whatever uh, this whole Marvel Now thing, we were told that things were going to change. There's there's some a significant change in this issue, you know, among all of the fun and all the, mm. you know, the, the scenes between Iceman and, and Cyclops and them mm. doing that thing, which was great. But if you're talking about making things different and having to deal with those, the consequences of those actions, those changes something really big happened in this issue mm. that I, I can't wait to see how it plays out because there's, there's going to be some real emotional stuff going on mm. in, in the next couple of issues. And if that's going to be kind of in the background of, of all the other mystique stuff and mm. everything, then uh, I don't know. I mean, the book's been really good, but it's, it added another layer to it that I think is a lot of fun and should be really cool to see how it plays out. Yeah. And what's funny too is no- the writing isn't really different than it's been, but because of the visuals, it's the first time where I was like, oh, they're like kids. You know, they're t- they're <laughs> teenagers. This is the first time where I saw them as teenagers because um, they kind of look like adults in the in the, with the other art. In this, they look, look like kids. Yep. And that was cool to see them act like that. Stephanie, did you read this? I did. Um, I agree about the art. Actually, until you kind of mentioned that, I was about to say that I didn't really dig the art style. And, and I don't really like it. Like, I wasn't completely sold on it. It's not something I want to see in the book for the rest of the series, even though it's good. It's just kind of an acquired taste, I think. Um, But I do, now that you kind of pointed out, I completely agree that it was the first time that you could really differentiate between the adult versions of them and then like the younger versions of them. So in that sense, I think the art was extremely successful, Mm -hmm. extremely successful. (laughs) And I don't think that it should, and I agree with you, Stephanie, I don't want this to be the art style from, till the end, uh, again, in the book. Like, I like the art style of the book, but it was, I thought it was nice for this interlude, uh, and it fit with the story that they were Mm -hmm. telling in this Um, particular issue. 
the only thing, like, I like the story. I wish it was kind of more focused on the actual story. It felt like filler to me, and I mm-hmm. realized they're setting something up. But for me, um, it just felt a bit like, oh, right. Wow. Another love story. Another upcoming love triangle quadruple. Square, look, square, a love. Rhombus. Gone. Yep. It's like how many people can be in love with this particular person? Everyone, apparently. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. A lot of people are in love with her. It's true. Professor X at the start. Yeah. So, I mean. Which was icky. I, yeah. <laughs> I mean, dare I say it was sort of unnecessary? <sighs> she brought it back. I, I yeah. like it. She's taking I, it I, back. I really like All New X-Men. It's one of my favorite Marvel titles right now. Um, but I just, this wasn't my favorite issue out of it. I've been really enjoying what's happening in the other issues. And this just felt kind of, you know. You didn't, like, you didn't like the interludeness of it. Yeah, that I it didn't. Was, wow. Okay. All right. Gotcha. Um, uh, but my, my book of the week, and this should, will become as no surprise to anyone, uh, is Trillium number one uh, from Jeff Lemire. Uh, it's a new Vertigo n- number one, uh, obviously written and drawn by him. And the first thing I'll say is I, I, I really like Jeff Lemire's art style, and I've, I, I've always dug his the simplistic, emotional style that he's always used. But I, I feel like here he kind of takes... A, a, a next step as far as his skill level as an artist. And maybe it's, it, it's just the style of the story and he's using, he's kind of putting more of those things to work, but there's more fine detail here than I think I've ever seen in any of his work before. There's more different, uh, there's more differentiation between the way the characters look like, you know, there's a very certain like Jeff Lemire nose that like every character he <laughs> creates has. It has like this like weird, crooked, big nose, women, <laughs> men, everybody. And the male character in this has that nose, but the female character has, a, has, a, has a, 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 you know, a, a very petite, uh, you know, more normal looking nose on her, which is, you know, was surprising to me. And, and the, the aliens and the settings and, and, and the colors, which are more vibrant than I think I've seen, you know, Sweet Tooth used uh, a color palette, obviously, but it was a much more muted color palette than than Trillium is working with. And and for those who don't know what Trillium is about, you know, just in a very non-spoiler terms, it's two separate stories. It's about um, a woman in the in the very far future who is basically dealing with there's a there's a sentient virus that's kind of wiping out the world, and she is on a science expedition looking for this flower, this Trillium flower that's the cure. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's also another story where it's uh, a veteran of World War One, I, I believe, is the war that he came from, who's dealing with PTSD and trying to get his life back and trying to figure out what his place is and dealing with, you know, all the people he, he saw die. And he's kind of on the hunt as well for his redemption, just like she's on the hunt for kind of the world's redemption and saving her race. And there's a, there's a way that their stories uh, collide. Um and, and that's all really say about what what's going on here. It's it's big in scope, uh, and there's a lot of information to be imparted, especially in the. It's really the tale of two sides because the, the 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 story of the girl is full of information because it's it's the future and there's a lot of things to fill in, and the 
and it's starkly opposite with 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 the the guy's story because it's in a time period that we understand. It's a story that we know. He doesn't you know the set of the world. You know this is this is our world. This guy who came back from war. He's having a lot of trouble. That's basically all they have to do to set up his story. A lot of other legwork has to be done for hers. Um, so I think that his story, at least in this first issue, I think has more of those. Jeff Lemire like emotion, emotional moments to it because he's dealing in broader strokes. When you see uh, this soldier in a in a you know a, a muddy pit that and he fell into and he's surrounded by his dead friends, you that is an emotional connection you can yeah. make immediately. S- the stuff with the with the universe getting wiped out, it's big. It's it's too hard to grasp. And he does bring it down. This girl has something with her mother that she never knew, and they're bringing that out and stuff like that. Um, but the coolest thing about the book is is the the freedom that the book gives you. Because you pick up the book, and there's a cover with the guy, big, and it says, number one, Vertigo. On the other side, if you flip it upside down, it's the girl, big, number one, Vertigo. And you can read it either direction that you want, and it meets in the middle. I'm um, curious, how did you end up reading it? I read the girl first, because it was just yeah, what I had in front of me. And I was... But when I got to that point where I was like, oh my God, I could have read the guy first and it would have totally kind of changed my perception of the events I was mm. reading either way. And I thought that was really cool. And I didn't expect it. I did not read that in previews. I did not seek out that information because um, I knew I was buying the book anyway. So I, did, I didn't want to know this mm. stuff. Um, it's cool because it's interesting. It's the first thing original of his that I've read month to month, like from the beginning. Sweet Tooth, I read a big bulk of it, you know, and I haven't even finished it, but I, like I read a big bulk of it at oh, one time. Never finished Sweet Tooth, you know, no. So, oh. but again, I was I was catching up all together, so I had a lot to take in. Underwater Welder is a graphic novel. Obviously, we're talking about completed works. This is interesting because I'm reading this from the ground up, um, and I'm seeing the seeds that he's planting for future things. But it's all sort of still in seed form. Uh, really, really loved it. I think it's gonna be something special. Uh, that's my take, Steve. What did you think? Well, I mean, you you pretty much got everything covered. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also read it from the female perspective uh, at first and did not know about meeting in the middle and turning the book upside down or reading from the other side. Uh, I get I, same thing. It's very unique. It's very cool. It reminded me a lot of uh, Scott Snyder's Batman. Was it number five, I believe? Oh, yeah, you, with you, the flipping around. The flipping yeah, around yeah, 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 inside yeah. of the maze and stuff. Yeah. And just a really cool way to read a book. I'm curious to know if that's what's going to happen with each issue, if each one's going to be split. It is. It is, yeah. See, that's that's so cool. Mm. You know, I mean, you could even... I mean, think about the the reread value mm. of that, that you could read it, you know, going in one direction the whole way, and then the next time around you could read it, you could mix and match. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I love, you know, Jeff Lemire is one of my favorite creators since we started doing this, my top three at least. And it's yet another project of his that I'm really, really excited about. And again, this is the first time that he's doing anything month to month where we've been in from the beginning of one of his creator-owned mm-hmm. things. And, you know, not to knock his other work for DC or anything like that, but I am just really overjoyed at having Trillium and having him do another creator-owned thing, because I think that's where he shines. I think his his other stuff is very good, Animal Man in particular, Mm -hmm. but beyond that, uh, I think Trillium, like you said, is really going to be something special. Uh, And seeing how it is 10 issues, I mean, I suppose people think that they could wait 
I would really get in on this because this is going to be an awesome ride. I just, mm. I just know it. Yeah. Stephanie, what about you? Um, I thought it was awesome. Um, I just read it the other day cause I kind of procrastinated on, you know, the whole reading thing. Um, but it was, it blew my mind. And just for the record, the digital copy, um, it automatically takes you to the woman first. Interesting. So um, I don't know if that's how it was meant to be read or like whatever. I don't think it has to be a meant to be Mm -hmm. kind of thing. Um, That's just how it was. Um, But I really enjoyed it. It had my mind going and going and going and just kind of was, it's a book that strikes conversations up with people, you Mm -hmm. know, like it, it's awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Awesome. I think it'd be interesting 10 months from now, if you read all the guy halves or all the girl halves mm-hmm. and read each of their lines straight through to see yeah. how that would read yeah. and come back together. That would be cool, yeah. That'd be interesting to check that out. Yeah, that's a cool... And it's cool that, that like Steve said, it's a, there's, a, there's a, a, a revisiting element to this that isn't, isn't in every book, it's just in a different way. You know, you, can, mm-hmm. you reread stories, you get different things out of them, but this is like, you can read it in a whole different way. And you don't really get to do that yeah. very often, and so it's, that's very cool. it's not a gimmick either. Yeah, it's, no, it's not. It's, yeah. you know, a way that he's choosing to tell the story that yeah. he's not doing it to be cool. Yeah. You know, like, oh, look, you can flip the book. There's yeah. a reason for it. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Absolutely, yeah. yeah, yeah. So they do it. Yeah. So Trillium number one, pick it up if you have not. Bob, close us out here. Okay, first thing, I'm going to go a little retro and just briefly, because this week what I read more of anything than else was Spider-Girl. I must Uh, have read 60 issues (laughs) of the Ron Friends, uh, Tom DeFalco, Pat O'Leaf, Spider-Girl, which started in 98 as an alternate future thing and then was just so well-received they did a regular book. It's a alternate future teenage daughter of Peter Parker and Mary Jane. So Joe Casada said at one point, well, for those people who want to see them still married, go read Spider-Girl, because they're still <laughs> married over there, and they're quite happy. <laughs> but it's for all of its run, it's actually the longest-running female lead Marvel book. Oh, wow. More than 150 issues between the various series. Wow. Uh, never a huge seller. It was canceled three different times, mm-hmm. and sort of like Star Trek letter writing kept bringing it back. But it is just so well done. It was so retro and new at the same time for those people who were saying, oh, it's just a rehash of Spider-Man. No, it's not. Mm. Though in a way, you're going back to high school, and you're seeing the sort of future versions of some of the characters. You know, there's Kane, by the way, for those who are... Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. That's where he shows up. But we, it's a Scarlet Spider. Yeah. We it's go me. down all those roads. We, we get to see uh, Flash Thompson still around. He coaches the high school basketball team mm. and was married to Felicia Hardy. Oh, wow. Okay, look at that. And they have a daughter who goes to the same school. So it's all, all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. It was just light, fun, silver, bronze age superheroics with a great lead character. Oddly told for a lot of it in the second person, which you don't hear much. Interesting. Yeah, not very much at all. They eventually blew away that when they went to their second series. But it, it was different. And mm-hmm. some of you didn't see. But uh, the problem with collecting Spider-Girl is you kind of can't without getting the real issues. There's some trades, they went to digests. Mm-hmm. They were trying all sorts of things to make it sell, so they made little ones for little hands. Mm-hmm. But anyway, Spider-Girl. So Spider-Girl. The, somewhere down the road... You'll be hearing a, the, more about you'll her. You'll be hearing yeah. a lot about Spider-Girl. Yeah. Uh, 1,700 words worth. Seven. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, to newer books. Uh, the Movement Number 4, uh, yeah. Gail Simone, Freddie Williams, uh, wonderful colors by Chris Sotomayor here. 
The group is laying siege to the Coral City police station after they've taken Catharsis prisoner and beaten the living daylights mm. out of her to try to get their corruption thing finished. I don't know, by killing someone yeah, and it's yeah, going to yeah, help. Yeah. Uh, lots of great forward momentum on the plot, but tons of great character moments here. You're getting backstory on nearly everybody. Yeah, yeah that was very cool. R- you really start to see what's happening here. Uh, sadly, we did the sales numbers. This went down to 14,000. Yeah, not doing well. So I, if anyone wanted to jump on this, do it quick, because I've got the funny feeling they'll get to six, get to yeah. the trade, and this is a casualty. Yeah, it was, just, it was a shame. This issue was very, very good. And I remember when we talked about the first issue, and I was like, you know, they throw you in really quickly, and they don't really tell you that much about it. But yeah. this issue does a really good job of filling in a lot of those right. blanks and learning and very, very quickly, but very efficiently and very emotionally who all these people are. Right, because what happens in each of these, uh, you get little flashback segments, a page or two of each, and it's where these characters are experiencing a decision they have to make, or mm-hmm. something's happening, and so you flash back to something that's going to inform mm-hmm. that decision. It's just really, really, look, Gail writes great characters, mm-hmm. and just across the board, this has been a really fun book. As you say, I think it was slow starting mm-hmm. for some. I love the way it came in yeah. this way, and so... Moving to issue four, you really had something special for it. I really think the num- sales numbers are disgusting. We yeah. know why. I mean, it just yeah. really wasn't weren't promoted as yeah. what it should have been. I don't think Green Team did much better. No, it doesn't. And it's tough to it, oh, it's tough to sell a book. If you hear the name The Movement, what does that tell you? It doesn't tell you anything. It's not a very yeah. descriptive name. It's the name of the group in the book, but it doesn't give you anything. And Gail Simone can sell some books... But she she's not gonna she's not gonna sell enough to, that if you never heard of anybody the team name or anybody on the team it's gonna sell great you know yeah. uh, that's a shame because I think all these characters are really good and hopefully she brings them into her other books if the book gets canceled and they end up in Batgirl or if she does another title you know whatever I hope these come in with her and she they propagate the DC universe because I like all of them I think they're really yeah. good additions yeah it's not a weak one in the bunch no because I thought initially Burden the kid who shows up yeah. at the church there was yeah. going to be a problem but here when you start to see it, his backstory is that he's from the Amish community yeah and he's got really restrictive religious parents who didn't believe what mm-hmm. was going on you know, yeah. they he makes mention they called the veterinarian because yeah. he was having seizures. Yeah. That's not going to work. Yeah, maybe it would have been better, you know, to introduce these characters in like a mini or something. Maybe they just a six issue mini with Gale on it. Maybe it sells more. Maybe people start to take the characters, they discover them, and then they can start putting them other places. Yeah. But uh, it's a shame. It's a really great book. It's a really yeah. great book. Even the, the I love the cover. I mean, I may mention in my yeah. uh, covers of the week. It's an Amanda Connor cover who draws everything well, but mm. that rats have personality on the cover. <laughs> It's just pretty stunning to me. I don't know. They're, they're just cute. <laughs> adorable. They're adorable. But to actual book of the week, uh, X Factor 260. Uh, we're two from the end at this point. It's Peter David and Neil Edwards back on this book, and he has just never been better. This is just an amazing, amazing book. Uh, it's the aftermath of their Hell on Earth war, mm-hmm. and everyone's been scattered to all sorts of the four corners. We've been seeing them in little bits and pieces. Lorna uh, Polaris is not happy with being scattered around the four corners of the earth and is sitting in a bar. She's taken to strong drink and she's being cut off by the bartender who, and she just threatens him with, well, you know, give me another drink or I'll destroy your bar. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'd like to see that. Well, then she flings a pool table through the door into someone's car. The police show up. They're not much good. She's trying to explain herself in a drunken stupor. It is hilarious 
And then it turns sort of serious when her half-brother Quicksilver shows up. They deal with their daddy issues, and since he's Magneto, they are pretty special. (laughs) Um, We just have humor, but there's a lot of deep emotion here between the two of them with what she's feeling for what's happened to her teammates. And we have a really mysterious ending to go with it, which I won't say very much about. But this was just... If you're going to point out a a Peter David comic book, the elements of what makes one of his Mm -hmm. books his books... This is it. Awesome. Stephanie, I know you you read it too. Yeah, I definitely agree. Um, as far as kind of not necessarily um, story arc driven, you know, issues, I really enjoyed this. I thought that Lorna was hilarious and like the cops trying to deal with stuff and, you know, they're egging her on. And she's like, don't come near me or, you know, I'll end you. And they're like, I'd like to see you try kind of thing. And, you know, the bartender who's just had his pool table thrown through a wall is kind of like, don't do that. Don't. No. No. Don't encourage that. (laughs) Um, And it's, I agree. I think Bob pretty well nailed the whole thing. But the end of this kind of hints um, into the future of, you know. (laughs) Into the future. (laughs) The same I don't thing. Know what just happened? Time keeps on slipping, <laughs> slipping, slipping. slipping. <laughs> oh boy! Yeah. Wow. Okay. Oh boy! I, I you, right. you, you do kooky <laughs> shit all the time, Steph. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. A little bit of Steve Miller. Yeah, yeah. yeah. If you were meowing, it'd been fine, Steve. Yeah. You should never watch Space Jam. No. Um, I so, was it on Blu-ray the other day. Lola Bunny, man. Yeah. Anyway, back to X-Factor. Back to X-Factor, X-Factor yeah. I'll take away from Bob's book of the week, y'all. Um, How about you guys? I mean, I have, I still still have it stocked up, so oh, I haven't been reading it. Um, but I definitely think that once it's over, we will do a, a, a thing of spoiler-filled f- recap and kind of retrospective on... Um, on as much as you want to do of okay. X Factor, uh, so we can really dive into it. Well, I've been saying to people who just want to start picking this up, but really, if you go back to the early two thirties, mm-hmm. you know when uh, Mandrox gets back from dimension mm-hmm. hopping, that thirty or so issues getting you to the end of this will give you as much backstory as you need to enjoy what's going on without having to read one hundred and twenty issues of Peter David's X Factor, right, right, which yeah. you should, right? Yeah. But you can just go back to that and yeah. really. Which is do- very doable. It's all in trade, obviously. Yeah. It's all collected. Um, Steve, you read? Yes, I did read it. And? And I enjoyed it. I laughed. I cried. No, I didn't cry. Yeah. Uh, the end has me very excited. Very excited. It's kind of what I've been... We've been pontificating about mm-hmm. all along. Uh, but to see how it plays out, it should be a lot of fun. And I... It's funny, I really regret not having gotten onto this series beforehand, because, I mean, you've been talking about it for the better part of two years mm-hmm. since we've been doing this, and I only jumped on in the Hell on Earth, you know, event, and then leading yeah. into this, and I've grown really attached to the characters and to the book and everything that I, I really do at some point want to go back. There's a lot. There's yeah. a lot of it there, and I'm all for collecting something, but I mean, it's huge. So I might have to piecemeal it, but this is definitely something that I want to go back and I want okay. to see more 
with these characters. I never would have guessed that I would attach myself to it as much as I have. I really enjoy it. There's also like a super great jab at the name X Factor in the book yes. too. Yeah. Yep. Uh, I, I, one thing I, I hope for is I want more issues of, of Lorna, you know, doing stuff like this. I want to see her like shooting pool or, you know, but, <laughs> but with the table in the room and going bowling or something. And certainly drinking. <laughs> Maybe drunk treating, uh, drunk tweeting zombie movies or something. <laughs> awesome. Anyway, awesome. that's it for me. Great. Awesome. So that was it for our book of the week. There's one thing I want to bring up really quick. This is just a little news item I forgot. Um, and it's nothing to talk about. It's just uh, the guys over at Action Lab, who we obviously had on Jeremy mm-hmm. Whit- uh, Whitley, and we had on Jamal Eigel talking about Molly Danger and Princeless. Uh, their latest book, Skyward, uh, by uh, Jeremy Dale, is going to be their first ongoing series. It's sold v- very, very well, so congratulations oh, to them. Definitely. Um, and it's getting their first ongoing series. So uh, congratulations to them. And so now we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about what's in store for Marvel and DC. Right, we are back, and as I said earlier, we put the call out on Facebook for certain topics, and we got a ton. I mean, we got 28 uh, suggestions from you guys. Amazing, amazing stuff. Um, we kind of took an amalgam of a, of a few of, of your answers, and I wanted to give credit to the people I kind of picked from. Um, Frankenstein. Yeah, to Frankenstein, your questions. Mm-hmm. Uh, Casey Crawford, uh, Sean Murphy, uh, Hugh Perry, um, there are more, even more. Um, this uh, Justin Townsend, um, uh, Dan Sims, all asked us in one way or another about uh, where the big two companies were headed, either because of creative things that are coming up, uh, you know, philosophically, uh, financially. And so put those two things together, and I said, what are Marvel and DC going to be like a year from now? Uh, you know that's creatively that's financially that's you know just the the state of comics in in those places and it's not kind of where you want it to be it's where you actually think it's going to be it's not oh i wish matt fraction wrote more books you know that's not it's going to be it's i do well obviously we yes we we all do but you know that's not what this is about like i hope that fearless offenders is selling four times as much you know it's not we we want well, those not gonna happen. yeah yeah we yeah. want those <laughs> things to happen but those things aren't going to happen so we want to talk more realistically about it um and we want to talk about both companies uh we also we got a ton of suggestions some people saying don't talk about any of the big companies some people asking for you know history podcasts some people talking about examining decades you know stuff like that all of the stuff we definitely want to hit and we'll definitely keep this list on this and pick from it as we go along. Um, so thank you guys so much for uh, all of that that response. I like um, that decades one, by the way. I know, I know. Play, I'm sure you playing, would. playing the music in yeah. the background while yeah. we do it. I like the one about uh, how do your friends and family react to your your passion yeah, for comics. Yes, yeah. it's a cool question, but I feel like I can answer that question in like a minute, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is they're all Me fine too. with it. You I, know, I could go on. They don't. They actually. don't. They, they don't look at me any differently. I've been doing nerdy stuff my entire life, so they don't. They just see it as another thing in that in that category. Um, but uh, let's let's talk about 
what we're doing uh, right here. Uh, and one of the one of the things that brought this up, uh, and one of the things, one of the questions somebody asked, and this is, we'll start with more of like the, I, I guess the less positive aspect, and then we'll move into mm-hmm. into the general discussion because this was sort of a news item as well, and I left it for here. Um, but there was a quote uh, from someone at DC. Um, I Gene, mean, Gene Yang, apparently. Gene Yang, do you want to? Do you have it in front of you, Bob? You want to sure. read it? Sure. Well, yeah. it's uh, Paul Pope, who is an Eisner-winning writer for a series called Batman Year One Hundred, uh, was trying to pitch to them uh, an all-ages science fiction series based on Jack Kirby's Commandy, mm-hmm. which was a post-apocalyptic caveman thing, wreck New York, Statue of Liberty, the whole mess that we're all happy about, and. Mm-hmm. Um, he, they said, well, we don't publish. Is that for kids? Hmm. We, don't, we don't publish comics for kids. We publish comics for 45-year-olds. If you want to do kids' books, you can do Scooby-Doo. Mm-hmm. And Pope was, well, I guess we have to break up. <laughs> right. So this was, this was the thing that uh, a CBR, I believe, did a big story yep. about it. Um, and you guys check that out if you, if you want to see the more in-depth kind of uh, look at that stuff. Uh, so, I mean, we, we've talked about this many times from both sides of the aisle. Uh, and from a lot of like different companies and how comic books seem to be aimed at at uh, o- you know more mature older people um, and kind of forgoing the the kid side of it and so I wanted to bring that up in in a general discussion I don't want I don't want to harp on the DC end of it so much although this is gonna be part of the discussion um, if we think that philosophy you know going for in the future is going to benefit or hurt those companies in the very near future we're only talking about a year or so from now is there are there are there somebody riding we t- talked about the sales numbers they had a high uh, th- th- this past month is that going to continue or is this going to start nipping them in the bud uh stephanie i want to start with you uh i don't know can we not start with me okay steve let's start with you where do I think? Uh, like, well, you know, is, is this is this kind of aim at forty five year olds and not eight year olds going to hurt them in the short term? Well, I mean, who's the person that said this? This is what was their name? Gene Yang. And who is that at DC? Yeah. An executive, not Harris or Didio or yeah, Didio. Yeah. Didio, or yeah, right. yeah, yeah. All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, regardless of their their position in the company, I'm not going to take what one person says about. We make books for forty-five-year-olds, right? No, but I don't, I don't mean it as exact for the DC situation. I mean it more in the overall scope of comics in general for both companies, because both companies are often making books for older people and not for kids. So, it, 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 is that still going to be benefiting them in a year from now, or do you think it's going to start hurting them? I think it's hurting them right now. Okay, I think that it's hurting them right now, and I think that they need to explore the market a little bit more i mean we've we've talked about this ad nauseum on the show for a long time about keeping comics in food stores and you know how you need to go to a specific shop that sells comics if you want to get them if you don't want to go digital you can go digital and things like that but i don't necessarily me personally i don't have the faith in parents to know what to buy their kids between the parents that come into our shop and then if you go into somewhere like GameStop, I mean, I go and I grab my Starbucks and I hop in there every couple of days and the stuff I hear from parents just blows me away. They have no idea what they're buying their kids when they walk in there. They don't even know how to pronounce the titles right. They don't know what the titles consist of. They don't give a shit if it's got a mature label on it or not. They just want to quiet their kid and busy them somewhere and that's that. Not all parents, but a, a bunch that I've run into. 
Uh, I think that both companies, both Marvel and DC, really do need to look at the kid market and find out uh, what they're doing wrong. And not necessarily if they... They don't need to create new teams. I mean, that's nice. But we see how new teams fare in today's market. Look at something like the movement that we were just talking about. You know, it's a new property from a, a big name, at least one of the biggest female names in comics. And we're at issue four, and it's struggling. It's not mm. really doing that great. Um, so I think if you made a new kid team, you'd have two things working against you. Not only is there not a huge market for your book, but you're also new to the streets, which has, has been established that it doesn't really mm. help. Uh, but I do think it would behoove these people to take their more known characters and instead of releasing 6,000 X-Books, maybe have something that's X-Men for the kids. And it could have, you know, big names on it and, and stuff like that. Scotty Young did the A-Babies versus X-Babies. Regardless of having the title Babies on the cover, that book rocked. It was funny. It was colorful. It was it was like paying homage to the old Muppet, uh, Muppet Babies show. And it just, it had so much nostalgic richness for people of my age but i show that to my nieces and they were cracking up and they fell in love with with his drawing of um black widow mm. you know with her little her little um suction cup gun and stuff like that and i i think it would be smart i think it would be a smart move because how are you going to get you need, if you get kids into comics they're the people that will continue to buy your product as they grow up if you hook them early, you'll have fans for later. Right, absolutely. Right. How many people get into comics when they're 30? Well, and, and then, yeah. me and okay. Steve. <laughs> you are very rare, yeah. to say the least, which is why the numbers of these books are where they're at. They're leaving a lot of money on the table mm. by not doing this. And we always talk about, uh, you know, should we cancel some books and then people lose their jobs and all mm. the rest of it? No, make more books. Mm. But make them for kids. We were in the in the shop last week, and a mom came in with some some little ones. Yeah, couldn't find a book. Mm. Couldn't find books for them. Well, that's got this in it, and this has this, and no, you can't have that one. And it's just wrong. Mm. These are. Well, I I realize it is. Go ahead, Steve. Well, there's more to the story with with her than that. And I mean, I think this happens a lot. Is she growing up? The mother. She used to read comics, but she read Archie. Now, I'm not dogging Archie at all. Mm. I've never read an Archie comic. I know of them from popular whatever, mm. but she read Archie and they still exist. They're hiding in the corners of your of your comic book store somewhere and they still make they're them. They're not really hiding at all. There's all right, a really well, big market for They're Archie, hiding where, they're where everywhere. Where I am, they're they're pretty much hidden. They're not okay, like Okay, but they're definitely not hidden. Usually they're still pretty front and center at most comic book shops and grocery stores and you know, Archie is one stores. of the few books that is pretty much everywhere. everywhere. But the problem with it, the problem with that is though, is that she reads Archie, read Archie books, but most kids don't want to read Archie books now. Well, that's the thing. Right. That's the thing is that I mean, we we walked around the store for it had to have been 15, 20 minutes pulling titles from mm. from the bins and finding you know sets for seventy five percent off and mm. like you know giving her these options. And in the end, I think she bought like one comic. And then decided to grab like a couple of old Archies mm. and give them to her kids because despite all the, I don't want to say expert advice because that's kind of mm. 
pompous. But she was getting expert advice. Yeah, because it was all, everyone was chiming in. Yeah, yeah. and you was know, good stuff. Too. Yeah, Rachel was helping. Lauren was helping. Mm. Bob, I was there. Rob, uh, Rob was there, mm. and she had all of this available to her. All these, all these suggestions, and we we had the books in our hands. We said, "Here, check mm-hmm. this out." Well, uh, Little Gotham, for example, mm. perfect. It's Batman. It's Batman doing kid an all ages book. Perfect. Here's one through four, or even one and two, mm. if you just want to try it, whatever. And she decided to go with one book. I can't remember what it was. And the other one was a bunch of like old, old mm. Archies for a dollar. Right. Yeah, yeah. And it was yeah. just, it was, it was sad to, to watch her make that choice. And I think a lot of parents do that. So I, it's just, maybe they think it, but- it go ahead, Steph. I don't think it's necessarily you can blame her per se, but like she doesn't know you guys. And like at the same time, it's nice. She's asking for recommendations. You're giving her recommendations. But I know if too many people are showing me stuff and being like, here, 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 I'm going to freak out and get overwhelmed, especially in like a place I don't normally go to. And like, I'm just going to buy something that's familiar to me. Mm -hmm. Like I realized you guys were just trying to be helpful and stuff. But at the same time, like to be fair to her, when you're having so many new things, you know, shown to you, it's overwhelming. Right. I also don't want to get sidetracked here. This is not a discussion yes. about the woman who came into Tor right. Comics last yeah. week. This is about Marvel and DC as a whole. So right. I want to I want to move the okay. conversation on. Okay. So okay. what, what yeah. I was actually starting to say, and it does tie yeah. into this moment because yeah. I I showed her Marvel a few years ago did Marvel Adventures. Mm-hmm. They were one and done stories of the classic heroes told in a very sort of straightforward Marvel style action but not crazy more adventure driven certainly the characters some humor but they were recognizably the real marvel characters Mm -hmm. and did those books sell a whole lot i tried to show one her kid Mm -hmm. picked up a a human torch book that was not appropriate and Mm -hmm. i tried to hand him the other one and he made a face because he wanted bad superman but granted those books maybe they'll sell eight thousand copies Mm -hmm. it's an investment in the future of i hate to sound like i'm a you know schoolyard pusher of of dope or something but get the kids hooked on a book that you can make a a a house ad for the rest of your line and get them going i'm sorry is does the new 52 is that actually their target demographic now Mm -hmm. i mean is that what we're looking at i mean that we're, we're aiming that way Short term, they're leaving money on the table. Long term, it's disaster. Hmm. Um, I, I, no, I'll say this. I mean, I do agree uh, that uh, there needs to be in any medium a way to bring younger people in so that they keep on buying books uh, and it becomes a habit for them. However, I, I think that while I, I, do, I agree with you that those things need to happen, I think in in the the time frame we're talking about here i think that the 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 younger people are are being grown are growing up on superheroes and other mediums and, and the hope is that they'll go from other mediums in, into comic books i i think that uh you know i i do not think that it's an impossibility for people who are older to become comic book readers and, and to begin to be long-term readers because we have know a lot of people we know people who write into the site people who write for this site who are like steve and i who have come to this hobby 
uh, and this medium later on. So I, I, I think that in a lot of ways, and this is not something you say all the time because I do think they're doing things wrong, I think they're doing things right as well. Because I know when I have kids now, because I, I got into it now, I'm going to pass that along to them. So you won't I, be able to show them any books, though. Yeah, but see, that's not true. I think there are books I can show them, and I, I, I think that I'm not going to show. I was going to get my two year old, uh, uh, you know, a uh, 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 Scott Snyder Batman book, but you know, I get to the age of, uh, you know, a certain age, I, I can definitely show it to them. And there's levels of things I, I can I can get them onto, because um, honestly, when they're a little kid, they don't care about quality. It doesn't quality doesn't matter. I'm sorry. When you when you're eight, quality does not matter to you. It, you do not. You I, don't know. I was an eight-year-old reading comics. It damn well did to me. You don't have any. You, you don't have any um, reference points for what's good and what's bad. So that's my. Opinion. I, di- I disagree. Well, that's my opinion yeah. anyway. And anyway, we're, we spent too long talking okay. about this exact topic. But I want to give Stephanie a chance to talk about it if she wants to talk about it. Well, speaking, you know, DC and Marvel, they are losing out to an extent. But at the same time, there are lots of kids' books out there. But unfortunately, they're from smaller publishers that mm-hmm. don't get put at the front of center of every comic book store, which is a real shame. Absolutely. Um, I mean, DC and Marvel can learn from them. And, you know, I think they are losing money, but at the same time, if I ever have kids, I'm more than happy to give that money to those smaller publishers that are doing it right. Because Marvel is too consumed with, like, you know, Avengers and X-Men and all that stuff. And, it's, you know, I'd rather give my money to people who are creating original stories that'll stay with my kids forever. And even if it's just like a gateway comic that's maybe more picture book than anything, at the same time, it's still, it's still something. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, get them into the format. Exactly. And until they start doing it right, I would just rather stay to those things. Okay. Mm-hmm. So we, I think we all agree though, that th- that's in the, in a year, that's not going to change. They're going to be no. around the same place where they are now. So, um, moving on from kind of more of the esoteric conversation to more of like brass tacks of, um, you know, we, we, like I said, over the past couple of months, we, we saw DC's sales slipping and for a point a few months ago that I think we mentioned that they were below or the level they were before mm-hmm. the relaunch. Now, obviously that is, we've seen a spike, uh, much to do with a, a lot of the new titles, the, the Batman Superman title, the Superman Unchained mm-hmm. title, the, the Trinity War stuff, boosting all of their Justice League titles much, much higher. Mm-hmm. Um, top seven titles, like we said, all all DC mm-hmm. titles. So we have we have an, a big event coming up, and this is before even we get to the the clusterfuck that's going to be all those covers <laughs> and all of the multiple, the, you know, the 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 quadrupling the the number of books they're shipping in a month. This is before this. So this is this is straight. Just we put out books that people liked. They bought them, and, and they're selling more. So in a in a year from now, do we see obviously? We, and we've got Forever Evil coming from uh, DC, and then we've got Infinity and Inhumanity and all this stuff coming from Marvel. Do we think a year from now things are going to look the same? DC and Marvel basically clipping at each other's heels. You know, flopping back and forth, very close. Marvel a little bit ahead sometimes. Uh, DC very, very close, maybe a little ahead sometimes. Or do we see one of the companies starting to, to m- m- make a gap? Steve, what do you think? Uh, I honestly don't think that there's going to be much of a change. Mm. I hate to say it, but, you know, there seems to have been a pattern that's emerged. And we've watched the numbers go up and down, up and down. 
And unless there's some major, major shakeups or there's some major moves on both parts, both parties, I think it's just going to be the same. They seem to be, I don't want to say, I mean, I guess they are in competition with one another because they're two different big, you know, companies. But uh, I hate to say that. I mean, DC puts out some really, really great titles. They have some really great books, some really great characters, but I've read more stories this year about them shooting themselves in the foot uh, and just creative changes and all these things that when I see them start to kind of have like a policy about that stuff and stick to it and we get some kind of consistency out of them, I think it's just going to keep going the way that it is. Uh, And in regard to, I mean, I I don't even know if I want to get into the whole events thing yet, but with Marvel... And I mean, well, we're just talking sales right now. I know we'll I keep going off into and other. It's okay. No, it's okay. That's why I'm here. I'm here to moderate and keep it in the. I track. just like I see DC is. It seems like DC is finally going to start to break into the films. Like they have more things that are that are planned. They're making. There's like you know. There's a stirring mm-hmm. going on. They're finally starting to get their plan together. That if we do get some like huge movie announcements. And things like that within the next year, we could really see DC uh, come out on top because just maybe we don't know. People might get. I don't. I don't think this is going to happen. But what if people get like a little tired or complacent about the Marvel stuff, and they kind of want to see what DC has to offer? And people that might not have been with them all along are curious, and they wander over to that side, and they want to see what DC's got going on. There's also obviously evidenced by the money that Man of Steel made and the amount of people that disagree with us, Mm. that Mm. there is a huge, there is a huge market for them Mm. if done, I don't want to say properly because they do make a lot of money. They do Mm. make a lot of people happy, but if they can get a grasp on their film universe or at least a present us with a really stellar plan for the future, I think we could definitely see them move up in the next year in regard to sales and popularity and just just general feelings towards the company. Yeah, I I, I don't think it can be stressed enough how I think w- uh, how positively the Man of Steel's opening and its box office had on the DC line of comics. I think it definitely helped, especially mm-hmm. the Superman title. The Superman titles I think were boosted uh, yeah. a lot. Well, I mean, we had seven titles in the top ten. Yeah. Like, I mean. Just by that alone, that's something they put something out. I mean, perhaps some people didn't like it, but yeah. other people really went nuts for it, yeah. and it it put them like it put them not to say they weren't on the map, mm. but it just it got people's heads turned. Yeah, and Scott Snyder had a new a new book out. Mm. It was Superman, and a lot of people went out and picked that up, and a lot of people stayed with it, or mm. at least they are staying with it for now mm. because it's good. Yeah, it's really good. Yeah, and I I would love nothing more than to see them make really big moves and impress the shit out of everyone. Yeah, absolutely. What do you think about this the sales track here, Bob? Well, I think one thing that is happening: the sales are concentrated within those families of books. As mm-hmm. Stephanie points out, there's just way too many X Men mm-hmm. Avengers titles. And same at DC, it's yeah. a lot of Superman, Batman, Justice League. If you then grow tired of that because it's gone stale, you move on to something else. So that's mm-hmm. going to ebb and flow. I think if the one thing that DC could do that would change the, the ball game mm. is with so many people interested in indie books, if they really utilize the Vertigo thing, and they've got mm. the big 
Neil Gaiman Sandman yeah. event. Yeah. They start attracting bigger folks back mm. to that and start that moving. That extra could be 5 10%. Mm. So it could put them over the top and keep them over the top for yeah. a long time. Yeah. And bring them back to those days when they were the company that was doing the the crazy new yeah. mm-hmm. big stuff because they were that company for a very yep. long time. And I think I think people misunder I think people can you cannot ignore that with as much as we complain about the tone and tenor of the new 52 sometimes they are very much like this is what made us who we are like we nobody yeah. cared about us and then we started doing this stuff and now and so we have to stay on this track i want to let stephanie talk before we loop yep. back around um about right. the sales um so what do you think stephanie about the sales track of both companies um i mean they as far as i know have just kind of always been the two big yeah the big two rather mm-hmm. and i don't see that changing i mean unless one of them does something really radical, then they'll just be the big two. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't really count movies into that because that's a separate entity entirely. But as far as the comics go, if they keep on doing what they're doing, you know, a couple events every year, lots and lots of variant covers, yada, yada, mm-hmm. yada. I mean... Mm-hmm. I, I don't really see anyone. I mean, it's less it's less about anyone usurping them and more about do you think that they're going to stay as even as they are right now? We're talking percentage points difference between the two companies as far as sales yeah. go. Or- I think I think so because like Marvel, Marvel's like super consistent. They're just oh let's put out the same stuff over and over and over again. Allah, and they occasionally. Things get canceled, things get announced, la la. Same with DC, but at the same time, DC takes more risks to me. Like DC will use more characters and do something new with one in particular character. Plus there's Vertigo. And I just, I don't know. I just see them, again, unless something really drastic happens, staying the same, neck Mm -hmm. and neck. Which, by the way, is a huge win for DC considering where they were about two, a little over two years ago. Mm. The fact that they're totally back in this conversation again is, is great uh, mm. for them. And I think the forward progress, I, I think we will see them stick this way. And actually, I love the fact that DC had this rebound because I want both companies to be very strong because the stronger both companies are, the better product you get mm-hmm. uh, out of each company. Yeah, You know what I mean? And the more books they can afford to put out and, and the more titles that will appeal to you will come out when they have more titles you know, to put out. So that stuff I think is great. And it is impressive that in October we're going to get this this evil, forever evil thing. This is going to be the first time that they do an event in two over two years. It'll be two years since they've launched New 52. They've never done a crossover event and they've stayed, like a full crossover event, and they've stayed where they are, and they've gotten themselves up to this level while Marvel has done the events over and over again, which boost a lot of their sales, you know? So it's very impressed to me they've managed to do that. And so I'm very curious to see how Forever Evil does as this first crossover hmm. um, with them. So, Steve, you had a point you wanted to bring up before I went back to Stephanie. Yeah, I just wanted to uh, just express my excitement about Vertigo. Mm. Uh, the idea that for at least a little while or... It was almost conveyed to us that Vertigo might have been going under. Yeah. That there was a lot of shakeups going on around there. Mm-hmm. We didn't know 
what the fate of it was going to be. But then San Diego Comic-Con comes around and they kind of had that little vertigo showcase of at least like four or five titles Mm -hmm. that got announced. And I looked into them and I mean, each one of them looked like something that I would like to check out at least, if not totally into it. And I'm like, I can't wait for it to come out. But I think that if they nurtured their vertigo line properly, that it could be a really huge boost for them. I mean, they could have their own little like image style uh, mm-hmm. label on yeah. their hands. It, it has well, the that's capabilities. What it, vertigo is. Yeah, basically. yeah. But I'm saying like it, I'm saying like the the amount of creators that would want to go to Vertigo because it seems like a lot. The go to company is Image because they allow you to do this, that, yeah, and the other thing. Yeah, yeah. But DC is is not a company to not do some things extreme. Mm. That if people start to maybe move over towards Vertigo, we could see like a resurgence of that, and I think that would be awesome. Yeah. The thing is, though, what you're forgetting here is submission policies. Mm. Like, a lot of speculation gets thrown around, and all these people are going to Image and la la la. But at the same time, that's because Image has you know, a submission policy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's like, send this in. You probably won't hear it back from 6 to 12 months, but, you know, it's in. Mm-hmm. But, like, I don't know if Vertigo really has that. I don't know. Like, I feel like they kind of, you need an in to get things pitched there. So it's a little more exclusive, and maybe they'll, I mean, lots of titles are getting announced. But I don't think Vertigo is ever dying. I think that's the problem with a lot of internet speculation, is that you know people overreact and they it's have not no just internet, substance you know, to yeah. like really back things up on just like I don't know, but I'm excited about what they're putting out. I mean, yeah. the wake has been great, and colliders are not collider anymore. Yeah, but FPP. and trillium. Yeah. but there's just I don't know. I think we have a tendency to panic about things when. Well, you know, when the head of the company worse before they get better sometimes. Yeah, but when the publisher of the of your line says that it's not a viable business model anymore, that's not internet spe- speculation. That's somebody who's in a lot of power for twenty years. For, she was, yeah, yeah, you know. So, so and then and then you know having your editor in chief leave yeah, and yeah. And, the, and the creative force behind yeah. your company leave is it's a tough tough thing. And also there was a time there was a couple of months there where you know where fables and ferris were really the only things and, and the unwritten were the only things coming out from, from vertigo mm-hmm. and not mean it was going to die but it certainly i think it had lost at least to a lot of comic for me i i i didn't have it i will look at an image number one and mostly be like i'll give i'll give it a chance you know and i wasn't like that thinking with the vertigo stuff you know and if they can get to a place where they're there with that again because i know it used to be that way before mm-hmm. i was reading mm-hmm. comic books um that would be amazing for them because I don't think their name has ever been tarnished though. Like I think all of, I I mean, what Vertigo titles has anyone not liked? I don't, I don't think it's a matter of being tarnished. Yeah, I think tarnished. it's just worn enough I think, of them. Yeah, yeah exactly. exactly. Like off, yeah, off the I'm radar. That's what I mean. Off the radar. I don't. They're not having not, not tarnished. No, 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 no. I just meant like to your point. You were saying like I'd pick up an image number one, but I mean there was like I, I know what you're saying, but at the same time. Well, well, there weren't Vertigo number ones to pick up. Yeah, yeah. When the two years or but so since could, I started the show, insane. yeah, and which I have started doing. But what I what I mean is like when the two plus years I've been doing this show, I, I can I think Fairest number one was one of the only Vertigo number ones that I saw like coming out. 
you know, there were obviously ongoings that were having American Vampire was happening, stuff like that. Sweet Tooth was punk happening. Jesus. Yeah, yeah, punk rock. Well, Punk Rock Jesus is a is a mini series, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like, um, which is awesome, by the way, you know. But I'm talking about ongoings that are holding up the line. And all I want, all I think we're all saying is that we want that line to. We think that line yeah. can be incredibly strong. Mm-hmm. And if they can keep putting out consistent titles like that, I think what you have on your your hands is you have your superhero business that does it does its thing. And then you almost have something that is almost achieving, you know, a market share that that is on its own approaching independent numbers huh. for an independent publisher. It's your boutique label, but yeah. selling solid all of a numbers. sudden you have you, you're 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 combining such a powerful two such powerful brands mm-hmm. going at full steam again. That I think what you're saying, Stephanie, is like the, the thing that can separate them. I think that's the thing that could separate them, which Marvel doesn't have and, and has really never had is that sort of prestigious line that DC has in their back pocket like that. I wonder if uh, the movement was a Vertigo book, if it would have done better. Well, it certainly would have been allowed to sell less and kept going. Yeah. Yeah. You know, which would have been interesting. Yeah, 14 wouldn't have been bad for a Vertigo book. No, not at yeah. all. Not at all. Bad at all. Um, so that's what we're talking about sales numbers. Now let's talk a little bit creatively. Now, the the, the big rumor here is that it's, it, it's pervading, and we've been kind of we kind of brought it up, but with Infinity coming and uh, uh, Inhumanity coming and Hunger going on right now, which is these kind of universe changing possibility events. Um, do we think um, that Marvel is going to do some sort of uh, even more of a drastic? Because let's face it, Marvel now was basically just renumbering of, of books. It wasn't really a reboot a more drastic rejiggering of their mythology and kind of create a, a more pared down Marvel universe in, 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 in any, any sort of way. What do you think, Bob? I'm going to take Axel Alonso at his word. He mm. keeps saying no. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the people who wrote and asked his questions, you know, w- w- did Marvel learn a lesson or whatever mm. from this? I can't imagine Marvel since it's not been in their history to do that, their continuity has been in place and always it seems like it always will be. I'm going to say they won't. You'll see some paring down. You'll see some duplication for a while until they sort it out. Mm-hmm. I mean, they've created, in essence, a problem for themselves with this time travel thing. They made a problem, mm-hmm. created a lockbox sort of thing, mm-hmm. and we'll figure a way out of it. Mm-hmm. But I, I don't think they need to, mm-hmm. even with what they've created for themselves. And I think... It, just on their past history, they won't, and the words of their chief executive. Right, yeah. Stephanie, what do you think? Do you think that this these events are going to lead to some sort of, not quite Nuke 52, not quite Crisis on Infinite Earths kind of reboot, but some sort of um, overhaul to their mythology? Um, I can't really see them doing that. Like, I don't know. They seem like a much more let's play it safe company to me as far as their comics go. Um, they let their creators... Yeah, take risks and such every now and again, um, but I don't know. I can't see them really doing anything too drastic. I mean, their events—it's just—I don't know. So you, you don't think so? You think you think we're just gonna get another event, just like all the other events? A couple things will change, but nothing that drastic. Yeah, it's. I mean, I don't know. I don't think anything drastic will come from it. Nothing like I can't imagine what they would possibly do to reboot it all at this point in time. I feel like the Marvel now to do another thing after this Marvel now and be like, 
we're doing a reboot. We're not really doing a reboot. We're doing a reboot. Mm-hmm. And like, it would just be counterproductive. Right. Good point. Very good point. Steve, what do you think? I think that the events will, will, will cause changes, but I think that they'll be very localized kind of like what we saw with uh, Avengers versus X-Men, how you had this, you know, 76 uh, issue event that it gave us all new X-Men and maybe like a couple of other little things, but it was very much within the Avengers X-Men universe to say that these events are going to change like the, the creative spectrum that like all throughout the Marvel universe, things are going to kind of get rearranged. I don't think so. Um, I think it would be, first of all, I think it would be too confusing, both for fans and for creators. Uh, I mean, I know they have meetings about this stuff, but if you've been working with a certain set of parameters for a while, you've been on a book for a while, and then they say, well, we're going to do this event, and we're going to not retcon things, but this is going to have a rippling effect that's going to change this title, that title, this character, that character, and you're the one writing that stuff, I mean, that's a lot to ask. Um, and, I mean, one of, the, one of the events that's bothering me right now, I'm enjoying the title for the most part, but one of the titles that has me uncomfortable right now is the hunger mm. uh, story going on. And it's not so much the story itself, it's the marketing of it. Beyond the solicitations in previews or maybe you've come across something online, there's nowhere uh, on the cover of these of these issues that tells anyone just passing by in the store exactly what this is supposed to signify. You know, we still don't know what the end result of this. We have speculations. Mm-hmm. Some of them are probably right. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, nobody really knows walking by that this might end the ultimate universe mm-hmm. or at least destroy a vast portion of it. Mm-hmm. And it's that those kind of moves that you really have to wonder if you're not promoting it as this gigantic cataclysmic thing that's going to change an entire line, then how much of an impact is it really going to have? I would think that if you were going to if you were going to wipe out an entire uh, other universe, that it would be like, you know, it would be a thing. It would be a really big thing. And I feel like it's like like a whisper almost like a back alley thing going on. And it just seems like it's too significant to not be promoted more. Right. I mean, well, I do agree with you with the marketing, but as we saw in the sales numbers, it, it's, it's in the top 15 of the, of the sales charge for the, mm-hmm. the first issue. So obviously people are picking it up. You think maybe people inside the stores are telling customers? I would think so. Probably. I think it's also, it's has age of Ultron branding on the cover. Yeah. You saw the end of age of Ultron, what happened there. Um, I think the I think that it's it's not getting marketed, but I think that it's it, it's purveying a lot of people who are who are in the know. And honestly, the only people who really really are going to care about the end of the Ultimate Universe right now are the people who are in the know because it's right. not the. And that's one of the things I'm going to say in a year from now. I don't think the Ultimate Universe is going to exist the way that we know it. I think you might have some other titles, some titles that spin off of it. I think you might see a resurgence of their Marvel Knights, which we're already kind of seeing. We heard those announcements, you know, coming out. Mm-hmm. Um, for a kind of more non-canonical one-off sort of universe that's not steeped in all of this uh, mythology, which the ultimate universe has become, you know, it's kind of folded in on itself now where it's become the the harder thing to penetrate than the regular 616 Marvel universe. And so I think they, they want that's something I think that will get stripped down and changed. And if not rebooted, 
you know, kind of totally repainted in a, in a, in a totally different way. Um, I agree with you guys. I do not think you're going to see a major reboot and overhaul of the Marvel Universe just because I don't think they need to do it. They're, they're, they don't need to... Um, I don't think they need the creative shot in the arm. I, I, I think that some books do, obviously, but I think that they have enough bright spots in their lineup where you know burning down the house isn't uh, isn't an appropriate measure. Um, it's not like their sales are lagging. It's not like they're doing poorly. So uh, it doesn't make sense financially. And it also doesn't make sense creatively when, when a lot of writers are in the middle of you know long um, yeah, runs sure. and very big stories and new storylines. You know what happens? What would happen to Superior Spider-Man if if you reboot the universe like that? It, it just doesn't make uh, a lot of sense. And I don't I don't think they're going to undercut a, a a book that's selling so well and be a book by one of their you know most popular uh, creators. So I, I think that that stuff isn't going to happen um, as far as I'm concerned, Steve. Yeah, I think I mean if anything, I think the, the one of the events that we're going to see some really nice changes from uh, might be Infinity. Just judging by the stuff that's come before it and Jonathan Hickman's Avengers, in this past issue in particular, there was something pretty amazing that happened uh, within the last couple of pages of that book. And if more stuff like that, original characters that were created for this story are going to become more of a part of the Marvel Universe, I think if we're going to see a change of anything that we might actually get some new, some like fresh blood mm-hmm. in the way of characters... Through these events, Mm -hmm. which I think would be great. I mean, what a better, what a better platform and what a better way to introduce new characters than with a big event where a lot of people are on board anyway. Yeah, I mean, the thing he's done with uh, uh, Starbrand, yeah, and and Nightmask characters that have already existed, he's kind of recreated in Hyperion, Hyperion, and kind of his own image. I I I think you're going to get stuff like that. I think you are going to get layers on top of the Marvel Universe that are going to change things. Like Bob said, I think there's going to be duplicate characters for a little while. I think there might be versions of characters that are gone. Uh, completely, uh, just because of whatever story reason they give during this event. Obviously, with Inhumanity, we're going to see a large increase in, in the Inhuman population in the Marvel Universe. So I think you're going to start to see other aspects of their universe get bigger. I think just the fact that Guardians of the Galaxy is selling so well, you're going to start to see things spiraling out and, and becoming uh, more fleshed out and bigger parts of their strategy as a company uh, than you had right now. If Guardians of the Galaxy stays this popular, you're going to see a huge resurgence in, in cosmic books. You're going to see stories with those characters branching out of their places. If, if this time next year, if Rocket Raccoon doesn't have his own book, I'll be very surprised. Or at least appear in A+. Plus, uh, what is it? A plus X? Or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, all, the, all those kind of things. So I, I think you're going to see a, a pan-universe you know, strategy by them to, to bump up these characters, especially the characters that they own on all sides of the aisle. I'd love um, a Gamora book. That would be awesome. So that's I think you're going to get stuff like that. Um, and, and I think reality is going to change a little bit. On the DC side, um, I, I in the Forever Evil stuff, I, I think that the main consequence of that is you're going to get probably some interesting new solo series with, with with villains and maybe antiheroes that we haven't you know we haven't had before. And I, I think that getting ongoings for like a rogues, a flash rogues book, I think it'd be a really cool outcome of Forever Evil. We've also seen the rumors. If you look at the promo art for Forever Evil, the the, the Nightwing logo features prominently in in the art and kind of like could this be kind of, kind of thing. 
whether that means he's going to die or he's going to become a good guy, a bad guy, we we don't know. But um, I want to I want to throw to Stephanie first because she has been talking a lot about DC. I want to know if you're what you think is in store for this event coming up. Are you excited about it, Stephanie? And what do you think about villain books in the future? Um, I think we kind of covered this a little bit when it got announced and mm. information was, you know, passed down. But I'm excited for it in um, to an extent. Like, I'm excited for the idea of it. I'm excited to read some cool villain books. I'm not excited to hear stories about, you know, I don't need them to justify why they're bad characters. Mm-hmm. You know, we, I think we had this conversation. Mm-hmm. I don't need you to tell me that somebody is a bad guy because his mom beat him. Mm-hmm. Or his dad, or whatever. I don't mm-hmm. care. I want to see villains being villains. Mm-hmm. I would love to see that, like just them wreaking havoc, but for their own reasons, whether they're sane or not. Mm-hmm. Um. So, if it sticks to that kind of thing, sure, I'm excited for it. Um, I'm excited for other things that they could do in the future with villains because, I mean. What I mean, other than Thanos right now on the side with Marvel and Harley getting her own book soon, there aren't a lot of like villain ongoings, are there? Are there I mean, any? Never really have been. Yeah, I mean, Superior Foes now uh, with Marvel just started, obviously, but no, and there there isn't. I mean, there isn't really even. I mean, you got Suicide Squad, which is bad guys being sort of good guys. Catwoman, you yeah, could sort Catwoman, of sort of that as well, right? but. Uh, never really, I think, much been much for the big he- big villains getting their own books, right? Well, yeah. with that in mind, I mean, totally, I would love to see an ongoing, like a good ongoing series done, and in future to whatever else they want to throw at us. But you know, mm-hmm. I, I know it goes without saying that I hope anything they do is done well. Mm. So, I, yeah. I guess it's more of a I hope they, the way they kind of present it is appealing, mm. which is the same sort of thing, I guess. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. No, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Well, the trouble with a, vil- a villain ongoing is at a certain level, your villain gets beat up every month right. or loses every month. And yeah. that gets to be a problem yeah. in, in just terms of dramatic storytelling. Yeah. So you either have to have a, a villain who's heroic or noble in mm. certain ways um, not counting Catwoman, I would suppose the longest-running villain ongoing is the old Dracula, the Marvel right. Wolfman, Gene mm-hmm. Coleman Dracula. He's Dracula, after mm-hmm. all. Yeah. You know, I guess uh, an American vampire, is he a villainous? No, they're, no, they're actually good guys. They're, they're, okay. they're heroes. Well, I mean, sort of. I mean, as much as they can be. Okay, but yeah. uh, that, that's work. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. So you, you might have to have a sort of split focus yeah. on the book, that they have to do good things Every once in a while. Yeah. Well, they don't even necessarily do it. You know what could actually really work would be a Hawkeye kind of approach to a villain. Not necessarily mm-hmm. them being villains, but, you know, a villain just what they do in their spare time. Right, yeah. What shenanigans they get into. Yeah. Like, uh, sort I, of Dr. Horrible-esque, even. Yeah. I think we may see Harley be that book. Yeah, which will be great if that's what that book ends up being. Um and I think that the thing about DC, though, is I think they have a lot of very rich characters. And I mean, Lex Luthor is a very bad character, but he also has aspects to him that are that are noble and aspects to him that are more complicated. And he doesn't always, doesn't have to be a book about Lex Luthor fighting Superman. You know, it can be a book about Lex Luthor doing other things than just mm-hmm. that. That's why I point out like the, the 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 I think 
a Hawkeye type book really works with the Flash rogues because they have more of a humor to them and more of like a we're just like to rob places like we're not trying to take over yeah. the world type of people. So I think those situations uh, work very very well. Um, Steve, all right. Well, I have a question. Yeah. Okay. What is because of all the events that are going on, Forever Evil has actually been the one that I just have not kept my finger on the pulse mm. of at all. Um, it just to me, it just was dollar signs mm. for as many books as there are in this thing. But what is the what is the end goal, or what is the big deal about Forever Evil? Well, there's two there's two aspects. There's the Villains Month, which is the which is the all the covers and all the you know every book is getting four point one issues, you know whatever. Then there's Forever Evil, which is the you know is the Jeff Johns written miniseries, a seven issue miniseries like Flashpoint or like uh, you know uh, Infinite Crisis. You know it's it's the self contained exists in its in its own book okay. situation where the villains see a power vacuum where the Justice League is separated, so they come together and try to kind of be the power in in the world. Um, and so it also is interesting because it's, it's also we're going to see what happens with a connected DC universe, which for the first time in the last couple of months, we've really seen it starting to come together as a, as a cohesive whole. And this is going to really bring it together and we're going to see what that looks like reformed. And I, I think also in a year from now, because of the success of what Scott Snyder is doing with Zero Year and because of the reaction to Greg Pak's Batman Superman, I think you're going to see much like they did after year one came out and they put all of these year one books out to kind of give character backstories, I think you're going to see a lot more effort by the company to um, firmly establish the mythology of their of their characters' pasts more than they did mm. when they just kind of mm. haphazardly rebooted the universe. I would have sworn I saw something about this just the, the other day. Oh, really? That there was some other early history books announced. Well, so they, they, have, they have, um, there are books tying into Zero Year that weren't, I think Catwoman's tying into Zero Year, and I think even Green Lantern Corps is is tying into Zero Year somehow. So I think those books are going to probably do a little bit mm-hmm. of that too, But I and I think that's a good direction from the go. Because if you're going to do this, I think they're starting to realize if you're going to, I mean, they always realize it, and they're just getting to it now, but that if you're going to reboot the universe, if you're going to take this drastic step, then you then do it and give us something new and exciting and interesting like Scott Snyder's Batman Zero Year has been, and I think you're going to see more of that as as we go along in the next year. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that's also something I think is going to happen and something I hope is going to happen. It's a dual thing uh, on that end. Well, I mean, I I completely, you know, I mean, it, it sounds like fun. It sounds cool, but I mean, I am a little trepidatious with it more so than the other Ooh, stuff. And nice. what. Oh, thanks. <laughs> yeah, it's my uh, 50 cent word for the night. <laughs> but uh, I totally agree with Stephanie in a sense of that. Don't give me 52 backstories of like, like you know, make it interesting. If you're going to do a backstory, if like this is supposed to establish these villains, I, a, I don't want the same. St- I don't, I, we know a lot of these origin stories, mm. especially the Batman villains. Nobody needs to see Harvey Dent get, you know, a half folder in his face full mm. of acid again. Mm-hmm. Um, I would really love to see the villains just being villains. I would love to see the planning of these big things that they do. Like, mm. you see these elaborate. Uh, events that they that they pull off. How did you do that? Mm-hmm. Like, how did you how you who how did you hire the guys? Who'd you have to go through? Um, getting the city plans that must have been something like just the inner workings. Even if it was just for two issues, just to see how that all mm-hmm. comes about, I think would be really fun. 
Um, and if you are going to go backstory wise, make it something really cool, like they did with uh, Scarecrow Year One, where I mean, Jonathan Crane was being locked in a basement by his father and stricken with fear that what he what he essentially sweated out was an ingredient for the fear toxin. Like that's that's cool. That's interesting, and it adds a whole other layer to the character if you do stuff like that it could be really awesome and it could also have you rooting for some of the villains it would be really cool if they went through all this trouble to do this and by the end of it that fans were actually clamoring for more villain books Mm. because it, it it creates an awareness of them and even a liking for like their wicked ways and shit i think Mm. that'd be cool so I don't know. Talking about it, I'm a little bit more jazzed, but we'll see. Uh, We definitely will see. Um, Does anybody have any points they want to bring up about about this discussion before we uh, move on? Nope. All right. So uh, thank you guys so much for that that, that topic and combining it and doing it for us. you know, send us your thoughts about it at Talking Comics on Twitter, podcast at TalkingComicBooks.com, or Facebook.com slash Talking Comics. Um, moving on to the releases for this week. Wow. Um we we've got from Aspen Comics, uh, Kara's Magic: The Death Princess number three, um, from Boom Studios, Adventure Time, Candy Capers number two, Deathmatch number eight, um, Garfield Pet Force Special number one, yeah. Grace Randolph Superbia number ten, Hero Bear and the Kid Inheritance number one of five, and Six Gun Gorilla number three of six. Yay. Um, Dark Horse Comics, we've got Breath of Bones, A Tale of the Golem, number three. Buffy the Vampire Slayer, season nine, number 24. Halo Initiation, number one of three. Last of Us, oh, sorry, no, that's a reprint of all the American Dreams books. Um, Resident Alien, The Suicide Blonde, number zero. Star Wars, number eight. True Lies of the Fabulous Killjoys, number three. And X, number four. Mm -hmm. Um, From DC Comics, we have Astro City, number three. Batgirl, number 23. Batman, Mm. number 23. Batman Arkham Unhinged, number 17. Batman Lil Gotham, number five. Constantine, number six. Demon Knights, number 23. Final issue. Django Unchained, number six of seven. Um, Green Lantern Corps, number 23. Justice League of America, number seven. Katana, number seven. Nightwing, number 23. Smallville Season 11, number 16. Suicide Squad, number 23. Superboy, number 23. Threshold, number eight. Also the final issue. And World's Finest, number 15. Should be the final issue. Um, From Dynamite Entertainment, we have Battlestar Galactica, number three. Damsels, Mermaids, number four of five. Deja Thoris and the Green Men of Mars, number five. Um, we've got Grimm, number four. Red Sonia, number two. Yay. Shadow, Green Hornet, Dark Knights, number two. Uh, Vampirella, Southern Gothic, number one. Um, from IDW, we have Amelia Cole in the Unknown World trade paperback, which is a printing of a monkey brain book. Um, mm. Doctor Who, number 12. Doomsday, point one, number four. Uh, G.I. Joe Special Missions, number six. Uh, Half Past Danger, number four. Um, We've got Star Trek, number 24. Thunder Agents, number one. Might be delayed. Really? I heard from my comic eye. Or might just be some of the covers are they having problems with. Okay. It's four four covers, five covers. It's something like that, yeah. Yeah. It's a lot Mm -hmm. of covers. Um, We have uh, X-Files, season 10, number three. 
Um, from Image, we have East of West, number five. We've got Ghosted, number two. Great Pacific, number nine. Uh, Lost Vegas, number four of four. Last one. Mind the Gap, number 12. Yes. Uh, Peter Panzerfaust, number 13. Saga, number 13. <gasps> Savage Dragon, number 190. Spawn, number 234. And Walking Dead, number 113. From Marvel Comics, we've got Astonishing X-Men number 65. Yay, last one. Avengers Arena number 13. Deadpool number 14. We've got um, uh, Fantastic Four number 11. Fearless Defenders number 8. Infinity number 1. Scarlet Spider number 20. uh, Secret Avengers number 7. Superior Spider-Man Team-Up number 2. Thor God of Thunder number 11. Ultimate Comics X-Men number 30. Uncanny X-Force number 10, Uncanny X-Men number 10, Wolverine number 8, Wolverine the X-Men number 34. Um, that's it for Marvel. Uh, from Titan, <laughs> that's it for Steve's wallet. Yeah, yeah. From Titan, we have A1 number 3, um, and It Came, number 1 of 4. Uh, from Valiant, Archer and Armstrong, number 12, Harbinger, number 15. And from Xenoscope, we have Demons, the Unseen, number 3, Wonderland, number 13. Obviously, both Grim Fairy Tales presents books and that is it for the releases uh for this week as i said if you guys want to get in contact with us at talking comics on twitter facebook.com slash talking comics or podcast at talking my personal twitter is at bobby shortle steve's mine is at dead underscore anchorus stephanie i'm at hello cookie and bob your email address bob ryer at talking all right. Um, so next week, uh, Steve will not be with us. I will not. So he'll have to come back in two weeks and tell us about the mass of books that he will have read <laughs> in, in, in his time. Um, and the party! I'm going to be, I'm gonna be <laughs> fucking... Oh my God, I'm going to have so much fun. Uh, awesome, awesome, awesome. Um, so that is it uh, for this week's show. For Steve. Party! Bob. Bye, y'all. And Stephanie. I have been Bobby. Until next time on Talking Comics, to be continued.